It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. It's Saturday, and that means it's another edition of the Weekend Watchdogs. Mike Silva, Joe Bono on this uh, July the 11th. If you want to listen to us live on replay, go to weekendwatchdogs.com. Send us a tweet at Mike Silva Media, at jbono611, or visit us on Facebook at the Weekend Watchdogs Facebook page. Joe, welcome back. We had our special holiday edition last week. The 4th of July long weekend is over, and we have a lot to talk about in a week, Joe. That had me concerned because first we have fingers being being blown off on the Fourth of July. We had the DeAndre Jordan kidnapping, where people were talking earlier in the week about the Clippers kidnapping DeAndre Jordan, so Mark Cuban couldn't find him as Mark Cuban aimlessly wandered around Houston. The Mets suffering more injuries. The Yankees quietly continuing to move to the top of the American League, some NBA summer league, but that's not what I'm concerned about today. You know what I'm concerned about, Joe? is as I go to the Weekend Watchdogs Facebook page, and I look at this panoramic of these athletes in New York, I see Derek Jeter retired, David Wright, career-threatening injury, Darren Williams now, stretch provision, bought out, Carmelo's rehabbing from an injury, you had Henrik, Henrik Lundqvist down there, who had an injury-plagued year, uh, you have uh, Tavares, I believe, Quentin Copel's I don't quite get, <laughs> And then Eli Manning, who some say are, you know, is in a make-or-break situation with the Giants, as I'm looking at this this morning, I'm like, this might be a bit of a mush, this, this panoramic. We might have to mix this up a little. The Darren Williams thing's got to go now. I mean, what are we going to keep uh, up I think uh, it's been a long-needed update regarding the uh, cover art um, on the Weekend Watchdogs Facebook page. I like how you didn't even attempt to name the member of the New Jersey Devils. Uh, very good. Uh, just avoiding that. Patrick Elliott. Well, actually, if you look at it, the Weekend Watchdog logo covers the Devils guy. I didn't even see that if you go to the Facebook page. That was by design. That was by design. (laughs) That was by design. Do we even (laughs) care? Look, I know you want to be, like, democratic here, but for crying out loud, you know, we're going to put the Devils down. I mean, what are we going to put, the Buffalo Bills on the page? Anybody who's in the state of New York? The Devils don't count. I understand. Listen, I understand going through there, and as usual, Mike Silva starting the show very pessimistic about how all our stars have have fallen here in the New York tri-state area. But I tell you what, a Friday night, sat down yesterday and watched two baseball games. Uh, Noah Syndergaard with 13 strikeouts, a dominant performance at City Field, and the Yankees against a very hot Red Sox team and arguably the hottest pitcher in the American League, and Clay Buckholz, who unfortunately had to leave with an elbow injury earlier in that game, both teams win. And I think all year long you've been talking about, hey, it's going to be July, it's going to be August, it's going to be kind of ho-hum, and we're going to be waiting for football to start. And I got excited as to what the next couple months may be when it comes to baseball in New York. Yankees now three games up on the Orioles, and the Mets, for all their problems, for all their injuries, including Steven Matz this week, you look around the NL East, and we thought, not just the NL East, but you look around the NL, Mike, and I thought by now, um, you know, teams like the Giants would kind of be in their rearview mirror, um, things like that. But, you know, the Pirates at 51 and 35, but everyone else is kind of, they're right there. They're right there with the Cubs. They're right there with the Giants. They're right there with even the Nationals who lost on the walk-off home run. So, Maybe it's time to 
be a little bit optimistic as we head into the All-Star break here in the 2015 Major League Baseball season. Well, we have joining us uh, a little later in the hour, Howard Megdell of Capital, New York, uh, also USA Today. He has a book about the Cardinals coming out. Uh, it's now coming out in 2016, so we'll find out the update on that. Maybe you could talk about the whole hacking scandal or the, uh, yeah. the, uh, the, all the uh, illegal activities going on in St. Louis with us. So we'll see what Howard thinks in terms of grades. But you're right, Joe, it hasn't been the exciting baseball season that we saw maybe in 2006 or 2007 at some point, 2008. You know, in the middle part of that uh, the decade, 2005, you know, when the Mets brought in Omar Minaya and Pedro Martinez and Carlos Delgado and, and Beltran and what have you, there was real excitement about the baseball season. And it seemed like it was 12 months of the year because then you had the hot stove and everything. And that hasn't been the case. But you're right. I, I'm going to take a different position. I'm not, first of all, going to criticize the Mets for what happened with Stephen Matz this week. Yeah, we heard about the lat. Lat injury is not good, but it's not the end of the world, and it happens. If you manage it appropriately, and it sounds like they're trying to do that, it sounds like if, if it was a big game, if it was sorry, a playoff game. I'm laughing because like, they manage it appropriately, and the New York Mets. Well, here's is, uh, the thing. You know, Jerry you, Blevins is hopefully with bones still as in a yield. He's supposed to be back in well, early but, June. But, but, Joe, that's that's not the Mets' fault. The guy broke his I know, arm. I mean, everybody heals differently. I mean, the thing is, the way well, we the do Mets know, communicate. Well, we do know, Mike, the, the, the way they communicate and their initial diagnosis for t- timetables almost never become true. And it's not even that I they miss Collins by a week. For that. They miss by several I blame weeks. Collins for that. I think Collins is making up what the timetable for the return is of I Travis Darnell. I mean, he should shut I up and not say, hey, up. we hope to have him back in the right. lineup in a couple of days, and he's been out three weeks. Right. Uh, but right. I think if you're a Mets fan right now, you're going, okay, it's all-star break, three weeks. Mm, he can't throw a ball for three weeks. Then he's going to need a rehab start. We're going to pretty much now be looking at Steven Matz as a September call-up. Yeah, and maybe that was what that was. We thought that was going to be the case for all year and what have you. And if there's one part of the – and you never want to lose any anything from your strength. They need the pitching to be so good, the Mets, that even though that's a strength and losing Matz is not the end of the world for them in, in the short term – you you know you want a guy to go out there and dominate because this offense you saw it again yesterday you get maybe one shot two shots a game you don't capitalize on those opportunities they're not scoring you know you need to limit your opposition to two maybe three runs and and that's pushing it uh, they are not going to win seven six games they're just not I mean they won one of those type against Atlanta earlier in the in the year they don't win many of those games so we all know that. So the, I'm not, not going to criticize the Mets for that. You know, Mike Vaccaro, our friend from the New York Post, has been all over them for not going out and editing uh, any kind of uh, talent. He's correct in the sense where I think Sandy handled the interaction with him a couple of weeks ago when Mike was like, hey, what are we doing with this team? And Sandy's like, i got to go walk my dog. I mean, come on, Sandy, stop. Um, you know, it's such a, uh, he's so difficult to listen to, Alderson, sometimes. And, and, and Mike Vaccaro is correct in saying that the Mets ownership group, historically, because of the – the way they've been, may use this as an opportunity to punt the rest of the year. However, Joe, I'll say this. I don't know with the, with the amount of teams bunched up and the way the second wild card has changed things, I don't know if anyone's going to make a move for another three weeks. We talked about this a week ago. And it's, you know, even in the American League where the Yankees quietly are starting to push away from the AL East and you look at the American League and you say, really, there's nobody that stands out. Even Kansas City who's pretty good. You know, you can't say that in a seven-game series there. Wow, they're a clear-cut favorite. I don't think anybody's ready to punt. I don't think. I don't think even Oakland, 
who's citing advanced metrics about run differential, uh, differentiation is not ready to punt and give up a Ben Zobers. Now you're starting to hear names like Justin Upton. You know, you've heard Cole Hamels in association made with the Yankees at some point. Johnny Cueto uh, with the Yankees. Uh, Justin Upton is an interesting name. Now this guy is going to be a free agent. So here's the deal. If Sandy Olderson, and he said it yesterday, is not going to trade from his abundance of pitching, what do the Mets have to give up that's going to give them something of significance? Maybe a bench player. Maybe you could get a bench player, to, you know, and that would help. But are you going to get an impact bat for a team that's right now not willing to give anybody up? Do you think, you know, unless you're willing to have Conforto, and I don't think they are, I don't know. I mean, if the Padres say, here's Justin Upton, free agent walk year, give us Michael Conforto. I am always been, I've always been in the camp you go for it. The problem is, I don't know if this team is really a go-for-it team. See, I, I, I don't think they're looking I, I don't to make think any, it's a any kind of deal that would impact um, anyone of the elk of, of Michael Conforto. I mean, look at uh, what Fulmer, Michael Fulmer is doing now in AA. Uh, he's been on one of the best hot streaks in all of minor league baseball right now, another right-handed pitcher with depth. Um, I think if you look at what the, some of the trade candidates were for the Mets, not just not candidates, but the players they'd be looking to move, it would be if Dylan G was actually pitching well, which he has not, and, and finally had a decent start in AAA after getting bombed his first two times out there. Um, you looked at maybe Jonathan Neese. That's no longer an option. Sandy said it wouldn't have been an option anyway, but certainly not, no longer an option now with the Mats injury. Um, that's two. Rafael Montero, another shoulder injury where they hurt. felt it was going to be a not serious, has been hurt, has been cleared, but still feels discomfort. So there's about three pitching from their pitching depth, three guys that you felt that would be the likely um, movable parts uh, to kind of bring in a guy that could right. be a Naris a Ramis Ramirez type or bring in a guy that could help this team offensively. And none of those players are really in a position to be traded, which complicates things even further. I thought what Sandy did say, though, about the fact that the injury to Mets did not really impact what they were going to do trade-wise because Jonathan Neese would not have been traded, which means that they were going to really stick to the six-man rotation regardless. And the fact that Nice pitched so brilliantly on the road trip uh, was not going to elevate his trade value, was not going to make him more likely to be traded. Um, I found that to be kind of the most interesting thing they said out of the press conference yesterday. But, you know, we'll see, Mike. You know, Keith Hernandez was kind of, kind of very much outspoken during the game yesterday, saying that there's really no need to make a panic move right now. They're in the middle of things. They have this right. young pitching staff. That's, they're in every single game. Guys have been awful offensively. You can't imagine that they're going to be any worse than they've been. They can turn around, get a couple guys hot. Um, hopefully Darno gets back, all these kind of things. And I know that's not something that the fan base wants to necessarily hear, but there may not be an option, as you mentioned, to do anything until the end of July, because it looks like there are just too many teams right now that look at themselves as buyers and not sellers. You look at the Milwaukee Brewers and maybe one other team that might be a team that might be looking to unload, but there aren't a lot of options out there. No, you're absolutely right, and 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 uh, and this is look. I'm always the first one to to hammer this team. Um, they hung in there on the West Coast trip, so kudos. To, I thought we were going to be throwing dirt on them today. I really thought. I thought that was going to be a disaster. In in the challenge here in this market, and you see it with the Knicks, and the Yankees have fallen to it, um, is that the media and the headlines is a business, and if you're in the business of selling tickets, winning those headlines or exciting fans from a marketing standpoint, which always doesn't, tr doesn't always translate to good business decisions on the field, is something that 
you know, you feel that you have to do, and it could be disastrous. The Mets are in a similar position, in my opinion, in some ways to 2004, when they made the Chris Benson and the Victor Zambrano trade. They gave up Casimir, and Benson was a good pitcher to bring over. I mean, they gave him up a year and a half later for no other reason, but they didn't like his wife, who he turned out to be a wacko to begin with. But um, you make a move thinking that or pretending that you're a contender, and that doesn't work out. You could be haunted for that for a long time. The Scott Casimir trade haunted this organization. Now, Casimir never turned out to be Sandy Koufax, but they sure could have used him in 2000. He turned out to be an all-star, yeah. And he, and he flamed out, and a lot of the things that they were concerned about him turned out to be true. But you could have leveraged that asset for someone a heck of a lot better than Victor Zambrano, unless you felt you were really getting a player on the upside. Zambrano was a converted position player, walked a lot of batters, and the worst part is he had, he had arm problems. So if he didn't have arm problems, maybe it would have been different, but totally a uh, separate issue. We're going back in time. So you don't want to make another 2004 type of, of move here. So I look at it this way. I think the manager <laughs> thinks... That 2004 team finished 71 and 91 after making but those. They years. were in. They were in the because the Braves had played back to the competition. And let's remember some similarities. Washington's playing back to the competition right now. Look, a competent first place team. If Washington was Washington, there's no. There's what no was their record? I'm, I'm going to check now. I'm going to check to see what their record was. The Mets were about six games out on July 31st. But if you go into like the middle of July, the Mets were legitimately. Hanging around. Eight in games out. Eight games out of July 31st. Oh, and it ended up being nine. They, lot, they got swept in Atlanta, ended up being nine games out after right. games on August 1st. And the right. record... So they were nine games out, and, and, and it never made any sense. under 500. I mean, they were under 500 team. This team is much closer than the 2014. Just makes you think how bad that line was. No, they were on the 500 was. a week and a half ago. They were on the 500 a week and a half ago by, for a day, but... I'm not comparing exactly, but the kind of move they made is what they have to resist. And I'm all for what Vaccaro's saying, but here's the thing. I'll give Alderson credit on this front. He doesn't care what the media says. He's not going to be pressured into doing something. If they put Steven Matz on the block tomorrow, pretty lat, even with the lat, you don't think they'd get something? You don't think the A's would give up Ben Zobers in a minute for Steven Matz or for Michael Fulmer? Is that the right move? Is giving up a, a, a pitcher? That was a first-round well, sandwich listen, pick I think, from I think my, Ben Zobers. You know, I mean, I think the, some of the moves, like Gary Cohen brought this up during the broadcast yesterday, you know, Casey McGee, who had a really good season a couple of years ago after playing in Japan and coming back and he led the league in hits, was released. He was out there. You don't think a player yeah, like that could have helped this team's bench? Sure. Instead of calling sure. up Danny Muno again? So I, think I, I agree with that. Subtle, I agree small with that. moves like that to bring in some kind of veteran bat. They showed a stat yesterday during the game that the Mets pitchers have a batting average 30 points higher than the Mets pinch hitters this season. Yep. The Mets hitters have the second best batting average in the league, and their pinch hitters have the last. This bench right. is horrible. So a team that has had the type of injuries that they've had can't even give a guy a rest to clear his head because the options you're putting out there are just awful. I mean, Kirk Newenice, I know he raked in AAA like every Mets player does. You know, and when he's up at the plate and you're looking at his big face in center field on the scoreboard, it says that he's batting 091. <laughs> I mean, um, that's the kind and of And he's got a negative OPS. We are. 
Yeah, that's where we are. With, not even. That's where we are with the Mets. Hey, Mike, before we get into, you know, we go with Howard, we're going to spend time talking about both teams. I just had to point this out because I remember when you and I first started doing this show and you were all over run differential. And I remember we spent a lot of last year talking about run differential and how it compares to a team's record. So do you know who has one of the like the best run differential in the American League? What team? Well, the only reason I know this is because they brought up with Oakland. Is that what they're saying? The Toronto Blue Jays are plus 79. And a 44-45. The Oakland Athletics are plus 41, and are 39 and 50. No, I I, I know about Oakland. How are you feeling about that argument? Uh, that run differential. Listen, I never said indicated. that was end all be all. What it's saying is that the Blue Jays have severely underachieved, been a little unlucky. Run differential is not a perfect science. That doesn't mean that you're. Uh, a you good run differential. Whenever I brought the Yankees, nah. lack of success, you were like, this is a 79-win team. A 79-win team. When you look at the run differential. So you can use it when it fits your argument, but then dismiss it as a as a non-significant number when it doesn't. I'm not dismissing it. I'm not dismissing it. What I'm saying is that if you're Toronto, and the reason this goes back to the original point about teams punting, Toronto's going to say, you know what? We're not as bad as our record. We have a turnaround coming around. Look at 1996. Here's another history lesson. The Baltimore Orioles had one of the highest payrolls in the, in the league, probably the highest, or at least one or two. That was when they uh, had Bobby Bonilla and Rafael Palmeiro and David Wells, and they were under 500 as early as like late July, early August. And they were going to do a fire sale, but their owner's like, no, let's, let's stay the course. And all those pieces, Robbie Alomar, so on and so forth, they all came together. And they and, and they made a run. So, uh, so you're saying that these teams aren't underperforming; they may be just underwinning. They're just not winning as much as they yeah. should be winning. Yeah, and I'm listen. I'm you see me on Twitter at Mike Silver Media. I'm not a uh, you know these stat guys. They'll come out with stuff just to keep their their business flowing. You know they'll sit look at spreadsheets seven days a, a week and try to find this. You know this is a lab. Ex- look, baseball for the stat guys is a lab experiment. It's no different than guys with white coats and rats in some school out in God knows where. Same thing, except they're looking at numbers all day. That doesn't mean everything they throw out there is absolute. I do know that if I'm being outscored by 100 runs, like, uh, let's see the Philadelphia Phillies here for a second. You know, here, here's my main point. Minus 155. Minus 155. You're going to be bad. You're not, listen, you're not going to turn around and say, well, they're being outscored by 155 uh, runs. You know, they, you know, they, 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 they can still win. No, they can't. They, they, they're, they're no good. Uh, you think of them? Look at their offense. If I start bringing up their players right now, but anyway, um, absolutely. There's only no. there's only two there's only two teams in baseball that have negative run differentials and have winning records. Well, um, who is that? What do you think? I mean, you, you, uh, the New York Mets and the Detroit Tigers. Are the only two well, teams, but the Mets are pretty much a. I mean, a negative run differential. It's not. It's minimal for the Mets. It's not like they're significantly under. Um, and in, in yeah. Detroit's. Five. I mean, that's pretty. They're, they're probably, listen, the Mets are a 500 team right now. I mean, they let that offense really start to move forward. Like Hernandez said, this is a 500 team. The only reason they're in a race is because the rest of the league is played in their caliber of play. Someone separates themselves. If Chicago separates themselves, they're done. They're not gonna, you know, they're not they're not gonna compete at that twenty games over five hundred level. They haven't shown it. Uh, if Washington goes on another, 
you know, 14-2 and two run. The Mets are done in the East. They're not competing at that level. They can't. The Mets don't have the kind of roster right now to win 10 out of 11. Just don't. So, um, you know, that's neither here nor there. Now, I know we have Howard coming on in a couple of minutes. Um, if you look at the American League, and I've been, look, I said in spring training, the Yankees, they're not as bad as everybody thinks. You know, I didn't think they were a 65-win team. This isn't the late 60s. But I, then I said, there were some days I was like, oh, this is a very boring team. It's not a great team. You were relying on to Sharon A-Rod, which I still think is a, a paper tiger uh, as the season wears on. But I wake up today, and I see Yankees 47-39, and 39, three games ahead of the Orioles. You just talked about Toronto and, and you know Tampa. They're both four and a half games over those teams. The Red Sox, I know they've been coming, but they're six and a half back. They've never shown the Red Sox. Get to 500 and then tell me the Red Sox are serious. Um, the rest of the league is pretty much in that same 44 and 42. You got LA and Houston out west. You got Kansas City and Minnesota in the central. The Tigers, like you said, are, are same record as the Mets, 44, 42. The Yankees are starting to separate themselves from the American League. And if you looked at the playoff picture today, you would not turn around and say, with that bullpen, and assuming Tanaka and Pineda can make their starts and be not lights out, but very effective. There's no series that you would say the Yankees can't win. And if you get to the World Series, that would be a kick in the you-know-what. Get to the World Series, anything can happen in seven games. And A-Rod would be MVP. I can't believe that you just used, Mike Silva just used Yankees and World Series in the same sentence. I'm telling you. I mean, I know that you're all in on A-Rod. I know you love every second of this. You wanted him in the All-Star game like a lot of people did. Well, Not I just for the Tony Bears that he might have actually, I mean, he very much, yeah. Could have very is well yeah. deserving of it after his 17th right. home run of the season to set the tone yesterday as well. All right. Well, listen, we're going to do some at the break grades with our buddy Howard Magdell of Capital New York. It's been a while since we've uh, talked to him. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Weekend Watchdogs, Mike Silva, Joe Bono, taking you all the way up till noon. We'll be right back. It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Every Saturday between 10 and noon, Mike Silva and Joe Bono bring you the Week in Sports with a New York slant. A one-stop shop of quality commentary, hard-hitting debates, intelligent guests, and entertaining pop culture references. Go to WeekendWatchdogs.com for an archive of the latest shows, iTunes subscription, and to contact the show. It's Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Don't miss it. Mike Silva, Joe Bono, Weekend Watch Dogs. You can check us out live on replay at weekendwatchdogs.com. Joining us, uh, you can check him out at Capital New York, uh, also USA Today. Uh, good friend of the show. It's been a while. You can check him out on Twitter at Howard Magdell. It's our buddy Howard Magdell. Howard, Mike and Joe, uh, how you doing? What's going on? Uh, I'm doing well, fellas. Enjoying the Saturday morning. So let's start off, uh, Howard. Um, more surprised that the Mets were not burying them this morning after that West Coast trip, or more surprised that the Yankees are actually separating themselves from the American League a little bit. I mean, which, which is more surprising to you here on July 11th? Equally pretty surprising, I guess. Here's what I'll say. I'll say Yankees are more surprising because lots of teams can go out and win four out of six. You know, it's a small enough sample size that maybe that's, not the craziest thing, but the fact that the Yankees are doing as well as they are in a division that 
uh, quite frankly, is filled with talented teams from top to bottom. I, I know they've been, uh, some of them have been underachieving. Uh, none of them have uh, really separated themselves until perhaps the Yankees right now. But still, you know, a lot of talent top to bottom in that American League East. So the fact that the Yankees are where they are, and moreover, how they got there is kind of amazing. Howard, they um, had a stat after the Mets game yesterday. Gary Apple said this, and uh, I was surprised on a number of fronts. But the Mets are 32 and five, 32 and five this season, in games where they've scored at least four runs. Yeah. And why I was so surprised is that I could not believe that they've scored four runs in a 37 <laughs> game. Um, <laughs> That's part of the reason why I think this season has been so infuriating because they are really that close from not just being a good team, but really separating themselves amongst the very mediocre National League. Yeah, I, I mean, it has to be infuriating that uh, the Mets have been restricted from building enough to maximize what is uh, a very rare thing, you know, to be able to generate this level of pitching prospect numbers, which is the bigger deal than bringing up Matt Harvey or Zach Wheeler, is bringing up so many of them to deal with the attrition that comes with, you know, it's just the reality of pitching in the major leagues. Uh, it, it's the type of thing that teams dream about so they can go ahead, add at the margins, add hitting to go along with it, and win championships. And it's where the Mets ought to be right now, and if they had, you know, real owners instead of owners who were siphoning off uh, revenue in order to finance their debt, that's the position the Mets would be in right now. Howard, as you're talking about the pitching prospects, when I look at that, I think back to podcasts where you and I are talking about Philip Umber and Brian Lawrence mm-hmm. and, and some of those. Oh, Could yeah. you imagine this staff, 06, 07, 08, no offense, Pedro Martinez and El Duque, uh, could you could you imagine? I mean, that, it, the course of history would be different. It's like the right place, right time. If only I, I met that celebrity when they were single, I would be a famous. <laughs> you know, they, the almost well, famous syndrome. You know, it, it's amazing. And you know, you think back to '08. You had, you, you could argue that the Mets had in 2008 uh, the best first baseman in their history in Carlos Rodon. Although you know. People could argue Keith Hernandez, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, they certainly, and you cannot argue this, they had in their peak the team's best shortstop, the team's best third baseman, and the team's best center field uh, center fielder they ever had, having uh, peak-level seasons and didn't have the pitching to be able to capitalize on it. It was a, a different sort of limitation for the Mets back in 2008, unfortunately, uh, a limitation of imagination. Uh, in this case, though, you have the opportunity to combine pitching with, you know, unfortunately hitting that just isn't there. I mean, these are these are 69 Mets level pitching prospects. Whether they continue on and any of them become Tom Seaver and anyone becomes Nolan Ryan or even uh, Jerry Kuzman, who won 200 plus games in his career and was uh, an excellent, excellent pitcher. I mean, you kind up for a Jerry Kuzman outcome for any of these guys right now. Uh, it, it's it, it's to be determined, but that's the level and number of pitchers that you have on staff right now, and it's just uh, it's just criminal to see that go to waste, uh, let alone become more expensive in the coming years, and then we'll not know how many they'll be able to keep. 
Howard Megdell of Capital New York USA Today is joining us. You can check him out on Twitter at Howard Megdell. I'm always in the opinion that if you have a chance to go for it, you should go for it. I mean, not irresponsibly, but I see some of the criticism. I love Mike Vaccaro, and he makes great points about the ownership in the New York Post and them using this as an excuse not to go for it. You keep hearing the Mets keep pushing the year out. Um, you know, I understand that Sandy Alderson could be aggravating the way he talks to the media, sometimes condescendingly to them. However, I really don't think there's anything he can do right now. And I know there's the financial component, Howard, but I'm sure if Noah Syndergaard was put up for trade, they could get Ben Zobers from Noah Syndergaard. But then you're doing the same thing that you did in 2004. You're trying to go for something that even if they bring in fringe players, do you really believe as constituted this team can make the playoffs and make a run. Um, there's also the other side of that whole thing is, you know, can they realistically bring in Justin Upton? And then even if you do, when you give up, you're going to have to sign him, can you? So is there a big move to be made? And, and if not, even if you make a smaller move, do you really feel this is a serious contender as constituted? Well, uh, look, I, I would just take issue with what you're saying in two ways. Uh, both of them have to do, of course, with the financial restraints, right? So one of them is, okay, the financial restraints are not just a today problem. They've been a yesterday problem, and they're a tomorrow problem. So what does that mean? That means that a team that needs a ton of offense, they need multiple bats. You're right. You just bring in a Ben Zobrist, and Lord knows I wouldn't trade a guy with Noah Syndergaard's upside for uh, the limited utility of Ben Zobrist for the Mets in 2015. But they need a bunch of bats. And the fact that they weren't financially able to compete for free agents this past winter, the winter before that, last summer when possible trade targets came up, these are the problems because they need offense in a fundamental way, in a way that you can't just solve at the trade deadline. You know, any GM worth his salt is going to tell you you pay more at the trade deadline than you tend to in the dead of winter. But, of course, in the dead of winter, the Mets were busy trying to figure out how much money had to be set aside for, you know, a certain Lee Castor genie. So, you know, in, in a wonderful, like, 29 other teams don't have to deal with it sort of way, that was what Alderson was up against. Now, the other part of it, and you mentioned it, was going forward. Who can you bring in? Well, that limits you as well. The Mets have a payroll that's bottom third in the largest media market in the country, and presumably they should be able to do the types of things that the Yankees routinely did for teams that needed more offense, and that is to take on salaries. You know, Raul Mondesi is just one such example, but he did it a million times, where you say, all right, we're not going to be in a position where we're going to give you top-flight players and take on a big salary in a deal, not because of financial restrictions, but just because of the marketplace. There's no reason you have to. You should be able to go out and say, you know, we'll, we'll take a shot on a Matt Kemp. We'll take a shot on a B.J. Upton or Melvin or, you know, whichever Upton you want. And go get those guys without having to give up talent. They can't do that, and then they can't go out and give up the talent because they'd be overpaying and they need cheap talent more than 29 other teams because they don't have the option of adding the high-priced guy. So they're absolutely locked in a box in this way. And I, and I don't know how Sandy Alderson gets out of it. It's a long way around of saying, yeah, you're probably right. There aren't probably ways for the Mets to solve the 2015 Mets problem between now and July 31st, 2015. But only if you narrow it to that time frame 
do you get away with the idea of, wow, the Mets really shouldn't uh, try to improve? It's the same thing as when Michael Bourne was available via free agents. Well, we're not a Michael Bourne away. Jose Reyes was a free agent. Well, we're not going to resign him. Even if we get Jose Reyes, we're not contending. You need to add talent when you have the opportunity to add talent that fits, not, oh, here's time frame X. Now we have to fix all of our problems in a limited period of time. And, and just the last point is that Mike Fortale is the best sports columnist in New York City, and uh, I don't <laughs> think it's close. <laughs> Howard, the Yankees are in obviously a very different situation and have been. They don't have the today problem, tomorrow yeah. problem, yesterday problem the Mets do. Uh, they can get talent and get it cheaper when it comes to prospects because of their willingness to take on salary. Uh, yeah. My question is, people point to the rotation, and you know, getting Ivan Nova back has been big, and he's been good, even though you never know what you're going to get back from a guy coming off Tommy John surgery. How imperative do you think it is for them to still bring in that starter, someone that maybe it's not the ace-level guy like a Cole Hamels or a Johnny Cueto, but someone that ends up being a reliable innings eater, a three or four, kind of give them what Brandon McCarthy gave them last season? Look, I think, first of all, you're right in a macro sense, uh, fundamentally about the Yankees, uh, and that is significant, and uh, you just have to hope that Hal Steinbrenner treats the Yankees that way instead of his random arbitrary, well, we're spending $200 million, that should be plenty, and we're not going to actually worry about the test at hand or adding to our talent base, you know, with, with Don Moncada, so on and so forth. But as long as the Yankees understand that they are the Yankees, uh, then that is absolutely, those are both options for him. And uh, to me, I wouldn't evaluate it in terms of, hey, we need a one, or hey, we need a three or four. I would say, how much do we have to give up in order to get the three or the four? How much do we have to give up to get the one? Now, to me, Cole Hamels is the guy to get, uh, Yankees or anyone else, because not only do you have a guy who is an elite pitcher, you have an elite pitcher on the right side of 30, who is signed to, by the way, a very reasonable deal. When you look at what Paul Hamels-level pitchers are making, even in their final years of arbitration, let alone free agent years, you can go out and get him. He's signed for the next, I believe, three years after this. That's a no-brainer to bring in Paul Hamels, have him sign to that, you know, as odd as it sounds with the amount of money, team-friendly deal, and plug him at the top of your rotation. So that would be the guy to go get. Now, you know, I, it's his secret. His contract terms are not a secret, so many many teams feel that way. Many teams who potentially have more prospects to give up uh, than the Yankees do. I'm, I'm thinking of a certain team in St. Louis, a certain team in Los Angeles, uh, both of whom have more high-end prospects. So the Yankees have more all the time, which which is a, a good thing for them. But that's what I would do. I would evaluate in terms of price. I, I look at what the Cardinals did last summer, though. A lot of people thought they needed to go get a number one. Uh, they ultimately went out and got Lackey and Masterson at the deadline, so they didn't have to give up much. Uh, for Masterson, they gave up an outfielder who uh, is very talented, uh, Ramsey, but couldn't break their AAA outfield because that's how stacked they were at the position. And uh, Lackey was amazing. They, they got him essentially for Joe Kelly, who's back in the minor leagues now, and Alan Craig, who didn't look like he was going to get fixed at the time and hasn't since. So can you give up spare parts and get a three or a four? That might be better than giving up a bunch of your future for a one. It just depends on who the one is and uh, who the guys are. It's not so much a binary question in my mind. 
Howard Miguel from uh, Capital New York joining us. Uh, the Yankees are actually in that position that uh, you know we debate and on the internet now because of all the information. You know, fans become prospect orders. I mean, we mm-hmm. you know Wilmer Flores is not a new name, Howard. We probably mentioned Wilmer Flores back when we started doing the podcast and I'm all this sure. stuff. You know, eight eight years ago. So it's not like all of a yeah. sudden like back when we were younger where you wouldn't hear about these guys until they made their debut in some cases. So right. if you have an opportunity to get Cole Hamels, and you already know the Phillies, some of the names they've asked other teams, you know, Mookie Betts in Boston and so on, you're going to have to give up a bird or uh, yeah. the kid from Notre Dame or, or, or Mason Williams or, or Aaron Judge. You know, Aaron yeah. Judge. Uh, you could, it's going to be a painful trade. Do you, If you're in the position that the Yankees are, you look at the American League, you look at their bullpen, you look at the starting rotation, you know, them going to the World Series is not a crazy conversation anymore. It was no. kind of crazy in April. A-Rod and Teixeira are still, I think, a dicey proposition as the season goes he, on. But Howard, Howard, Mike, know, will not, not crazy. Mike will not give all-star first baseman Mark Teixeira any credit to him. He will always <laughs> just be a softball slugger. Oh, that's team. too bad. He will that... not give him any credit for this year. How do you not love the renaissance of Teixeira and A-Rod? I mean, A-Rod especially, but both of them. Well, A-Rod I, I mean, shoving it up Andy Levine's you-know-what. Very right. true. Well, and, and that's why even non-Yankee fans can enjoy the A-Rod renaissance, you know. But it is, when you take that step back, the most Yankees thing ever. The, the guy who they physically tried to remove from the team that they persecuted in the media for the better part of a year, that MLB tried to chase out of the sport comes back from an injury very few people come back from at all and has the kind of season that A-Rod is having. And, and, and that's the only reason why the Teixeira thing doesn't seem more miraculous is because it's happening right next to A-Rod. But it's, you know, the Yankees' whole cocoon thing that somehow players don't age when they play in pinstripes. And uh, in this case, it's working to the Yankees' advantage once again. Once again. You know, yeah, Howard, I'm absolutely. glad I get the final que- I got the final question here because Mike wouldn't let me probably bring this up any other point during the show, but <laughs> I know you're a huge soccer fan. I just want to know what your thoughts are. Women's World Cup, I was obviously locked in last Sunday yeah. night. I don't think Mike Silva was. And just the parade in the New York, were you surprised? No, I didn't have doing it. You're assuming. <laughs> you, I, I know. I know. Trust me. I mean, I was surprised well, about the announcement. Well, yeah, Mike, <laughs> I was annou- I was surprised at the announcement of the parade, and uh, I didn't know what the uh, what the turnout was was going to be. I know you're a big time soccer fan. What were your thoughts overall on the Women's World Cup, and then what happened yesterday in the city? Well, I was there actually yesterday, um, covering the event over at City Hall. Um, I-, I will say a couple of things. Number one, if we had any question about whether the women's game could be embraced by a wider audience, and we shouldn't have. When you saw what happened in 99, we had 17.3 million people watch mm-hmm. that magical moment with Brandy Chastain. It was just reinforced here, um, you know, with what happened. 25.4 million on Fox alone, another 1.3 million on Telemundo. Nobody, uh, no soccer game has attracted a larger audience than the Women's World Cup final on Sunday. That's, that's number one. Number two, that audience was bigger than any game of the NBA finals, any game of the World Series. So, the, you know, the data question of, you know, the attraction of women's soccer can be put to bed. Uh, number two, what happens next and how quickly people are able to dismiss women's soccer in this country is going to be a direct function of, and I'm working on a story about this for Capital New York, a direct function of how well the NWSL 
manages to leverage what happened here over the past several months. What happened over the past several months, and forgive me, I know there's a longer answer than maybe you were asked, but what happened over the past several months has never happened before in women's sports, and that is that you had a network, in this case Fox, take women's soccer and women's sport out of the silo of women's coverage. So suddenly Alex Morgan was on The Simpsons. Suddenly Alex Morgan and Abby Wambach were on American Idol. And so you had a world outside of women's sports understand what was going on, promote it. You see cross-promoting happen all the time with sports and movies. I mean, how many, you know, C-level movie stars have we seen in the stands during the NLCS, you know? It just was never done with women's sports until now, and they got a huge boost as a result. Because surprise, it's not a magic trick. You have to promote women's sports the way you would anything else. 25.4 million people on Fox for the final, 8.4 million watching USA Germany in the semifinal, and by the way, 2.33 million watching England, Japan in this country. So that was the type of audience they were able to build in, and all it took was promoting it the way you'd promote anything else. Now, the NWSL finally signed a TV deal. They promised one in April. They signed it, or they announced it June 30th. So instead of co-branding with an unprecedented kind of promotion for women's sports, they did the opposite. They hid, and then they announced the TV deal, which is a measly six games, and the first of the six doesn't even start until August. They announced it the day of USA Germany when it got absolutely buried. Uh, I will be going to a Sky Blue FC game tonight. They're the local team against the Portland Thorns. We're going to see Christy Rampone. We're going to see Kelly O'Hara. A couple of major stars. Christy Rampone, the only one who played for 99 and 2015. Alex Morgan coming in from, from Portland. You have a ton of star power there. It's not on TV. You're going to have to watch it on YouTube if you want to watch it. And the NWSL, simply put, has to do a better job than they've done of capitalizing on what's happened so far. So yesterday at the parade, Don Garber, head of MLS on the board of U.S. Soccer, talked about the fact, and this is just the reality, we're here every week. You can go out and see MLS. You can go out and see NWSL. These players, these players that people are rooting for and watching and on commercials all over are available in your local neighborhoods week after week after week. And the longer it takes for people to realize that, the harder it's going to be for the NWSL to have a foothold. But nobody can ignore those numbers. And eventually, they're going to have some basic due diligence and not active malpractice when it comes to PR. And they're going to get women's soccer right in this country. And Mm -hmm. they're going to get it right for the 200,000 people, according to law enforcement sources, to NBC News, that were out there yesterday who, quite frankly, got me emotional, seeing a lot of young girls, a lot of women talking about what it meant to have that opportunity. And uh, Lindsay Adler wrote this great piece in BuzzFeed about it, casually mentioned within the framework of the piece, this 45-year-old women's soccer coach who just mentioned, you know, I couldn't play soccer in college. That's how new this is. That's how new this is. And Mm -hmm. so there was a seminal moment, I think, in this country and I'm really glad you asked the question, even if Mike didn't want you to. <laughs> no, I, I, Howard. Here's the thing: if Francesca was on Fox, we know that that we never would have seen all this. Like that was him taking yeah. vacation for the summer is actually the reason why this great progressive event happened. If you really want to be, oh, fair, I, you know? I don't know, Mike. They, they, they don't mind preempting Mike Francesca. They, they get it. They, they do it all the time. They do it for the Euro qualifier. I, 
Like, I know, me, it's amazing. Who is, this is a missed are. opportunity for Fox, by the way, because what they ought to do, if they told people, not only are we showing a Euro qualifier between Latvia and Kazakhstan, but you're going to get to watch 15 minutes ahead of time as we break the news to Mike Francesa that he's being preempted for Latvia, <laughs> Kazakhstan. Who wouldn't watch that? That's must-see TV. All you need is uh, Sasha Baron Cohen making that announcement. That's right, yes. Hey, Very Howard, uh, your book your book was coming out in 2016. Uh, before we let you go, yeah. let the listeners know uh, what's coming up, where they could find you, and, and some of the good stuff you got going on. Terrific. I have a column every week in USA Today Sports Weekly. A uh, number of pieces coming up this week over at Capitol New York. And, yes, the Cardinals way, um, which is in the process of being updated to reflect the whole FBI thing, uh, will be on uh, bookshelves next February, uh, February of 2016. And uh, you can reach me anytime at Howard Megdal uh, on Twitter, where I am a surprising amount of the time. All right. It went from a baseball to criminal minds, your book. Can't wait till it comes out. Well, I'm, I'm hey, used Howard. to that. I wrote about the Mets. That's true. You enjoy your weekend. You've been generous with your time. Uh, say hello to the family. and let's, uh, let's catch up again, all right? Sounds great, fellas. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Howard Megdal, Capital New York. Let's, uh, let's take a quick break. When we return, if you uh, want to give us a buzz, talk some baseball, the number is 646-716-8187. At 11 o'clock, we have Ed Valentine joining us, talk a little bit about the Giants uh, as uh, JPP made some news uh, over the week, over the holiday weekend last week. So we'll get into that, uh, and you can check us out live, as, of course, on our replay at theweekendwatchdog.com. We'll be right back. A disagreement between the weekend watchdogs starts with a growl. Money does not matter to them. It doesn't matter if these guys have diminished returns at the end of the contract. They will sure. spend more. Yeah, but you can't build a 25-man roster with the way that the, the salaries are going. Leads to a bark. So the New York Yankees are going to go out and sign and make Do a big more. Play. They did. They're, they're, they're done. Extreme, and they're Dojo. not done this offseason. And ends with a bite. <laughs> They can't implement or supplement anybody. Last year's a perfect they can example. with their dollars. You just can't build a team like that. They are building a team like no, that. No, they're going to fall short because they're not going to be able to fill their second base spot, their third base spot. Tune in to the Weekend Watchdogs, Saturday, 10 to noon on Blog Talk Radio. It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. <laughs> Mike Silva, Joe Bono, give us a call, 646-716-8187. We just had Howard Megdell of uh, Capital New York, USA Today, chatting a little bit about the Mets and Yankees, almost like a pseudo-grade of the first half and what to expect going forward. We have Ed Valentine from the Big Blue View joining us at 11 o'clock. Uh, obviously, some stuff going on with JPP and the Giants. That's a very weird situation. Get a little into the Summer League later on and what have you, of course. We're in the midst of the baseball season, so uh, let's uh, let's hear from you if you want to say a little something about the Mets or the Yankees. So, Joe, I mean, I did not watch the Women's Cup final. Right, so I had nothing to do because so of the I women's assumed, stuff. So I assumed correct. You assumed correctly. I did not watch. I actually did not know it existed until probably, like, Sunday, and I saw people tweeting about it. And at that point, I was just like, eh, am I going to jump in? See, I'm not a Johnny-come-lately bandwagon jumper. Either I'm going to be in or I'm out. See, I made sure I was ahead of the curve with the Islanders. I came in in December. I started to, when it percolated, I reviewed it. I didn't just all of a sudden, 
in May and June, or but the Islanders really May, Rangers are June, jump in and start talking Islanders hockey. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be a phony. I'm going to keep it real. Um, you know, nice little event. I think Howard made some great points. Here's what I'll say. It's going to be very hard, just like with hockey. There's nothing, again, you're going to say, oh, I'm saying it because it's women's uh, soccer. I think the, the sports media bubble is about to burst. There's only so much content you could consume. And I'll tell you what, if hockey's having trouble breaking into it, uh, I'm having a hard time believing that women's soccer, or even soccer in general, is going to jump into uh, the mainstream conscious. This is what I'll say. We keep on saying that the you know, sports bubble is going to burst. People can't take in content. There's just too much out there. Um, the Islanders have their blue and white scrimmage game uh, this week in Brooklyn. They completely filled out the lower bowl of Barclays Center for that for that game to watch prospects, guys that aren't even in their minor leagues yet, aren't even professional players that are playing junior league hockey, and to watch them for a few hours. The Buffalo Sabres, who had the number two pick in the draft, Jack Eichel, 17,000 people showed up to watch a scrimmage in Buffalo yesterday. So, I mean, it's just amazing some of the numbers. 200,000 people to see the parade yesterday. And I'm with Howard. If you had a five, six-year-old daughter, and I know some people that did on Facebook, you were bringing that that child to that parade for a a lot lot of reasons I'll tell you what. And the juxtaposition between a six-year-old Growing up and seeing women athletes on floats down the Canyon of Heroes and up on City Hall compared to that, you know, 40-year-old, you know, soccer coach who wasn't even able to play soccer in college because their their team didn't have a program um, shows you how new and still, you know, how fresh everything is. But I will say this, Mike, before you make your point, is that watching the women's U.S. soccer team comparatively to the men's soccer team I don't feel, as a person who gets into these type of events, that much of a difference getting into the women's team as opposed to the men's team. And it's hard in a game like soccer to notice that massive of a gap in the terms of the difference between the men's team and women's game. It's not like watching the NBA Finals and then watching the WNBA Finals. It's it's not like that to me when I watch it. Part of the reason why I'm always into it. And and then the next big event is the Olympics coming up. Well, think about it. Soccer as a sport. When you look at the genders, you know, skill level is the same. The things you have to do the same. You know, women physically are never going to be as strong, or be, even if they train as, as, a, as a male athlete. They're never going to be built. That's just the way that the anatomy works. Uh, so the NBA and the WNBA are always going to be different. Uh, you know, maybe baseball, uh, the gap is not quite as large. But still, there's the strength uh, part of it. With soccer, the skill that you need, maybe there's not much of a difference in that sport where the gap between the two men and women's game, like you said, you see, them, you see them do, you see them do the same type of plays that, that the men's, and I'm obviously not to the speed or the strength, et cetera, but the same type of soccer plays That's are made plays. by both. And, you know, we're having this conversation that Serena Williams wins another Wimbledon today. And, you know, I, I forgot where I watched it, but it talked about how long it took the women to fight for equal play for the winners, that for years and years and years, whoever the won the women's championship at these major events would get significantly less than whoever the men's championship was, despite the fact that both would sell out, you know, center court or Arthur Ashe Stadium for the finals, and, and, and that took a long time to get to that point. So 
We've obviously hey, taken a bit of a left turn say. here with our women's sports conversation here. And uh, I'll give you, I'll give you the, the <laughs> final point. I'll give you the final point. If you have a young daughter, like Howard has two young daughters, it is so much better for their development to get them into something positive like the women's soccer team than for them to start watching that garbage on E with the sloppy drunk nonsense and the real housewives and all that stuff. We need a new generation of more responsible, grounded women out there, and sports may be able to do that. So that's my public service announcement for those who have young daughters. Get them away although, from the E, get although, them away uh, from, the, from, the, from the nonsense concerts and the LOLs and all that other nonsense. Oh, I'm sure the six- or seven-year-old daughter isn't aware, but you know, Hope Solo may not, have been, not, may not be the best of role models for the uh, six-, yeah. seven-, eight-year-old in, in, in what has happened yeah. to her in the last year or so, but... You know, Alex Morgan is, you know, kind of perfect right now. So, you know, we'll send your girl that that way. 646-716-8187. Check us out on uh, Facebook, the Weekend Watchdogs, uh, or listen to us live on replay at weekendwatchdogs.com. So, Joe, it goes back to the ultimate question. So now I'm putting you on the spot. We're going to make you the GM. So if you're Brian Cashman and Cole Hamels or Johnny Cueto, it's probably going to cost you more for Hamels because of the contract, like Howard said. And it's going to cost you giving up an Aaron Judge or Greg Bird or Luis Severino or maybe one of the big offensive players and the pitcher. You're probably going to give the pitcher and the off- one of the offensive players to get Cole Hamels. You're in the Yankee spot. Do you do it? Probably would. I probably would because, I mean, listen. See, the only reason you're saying that is because you have no emotional investment in the Yankees. If it was the Islanders or the Mets, uh, you'd be holding on to the No, no, I'm telling life. you, Mike. No, listen, because here's the difference is that the Yankees have missed the playoffs the last couple of years, which two consecutive years without the playoffs for the Yankees hasn't happened since, you know, 1992, 1993. So we're talking 20 plus years where the last time they were in this type of situation. And you know that they will always spend the money to find the holes. And we're looking at bringing up an outfield prospect. Yeah. But you know, Gardner and Ellsbury are young. They're under contract. You're going to have to fill out one more outfield spot. And and the pitching, you know, Pineda, Nova, those guys are kind of young and under control. Tanaka's on the contract, although a big a bit, a bit of an injury concern. They'll they'll find a way to build out a rotation. So, to me, if you can bring in someone, you know, and go for it this year, I think that's the Yankee way. You know, he's writing the book the Cardinal way. That's the Yankee way. And it will be interesting to see what – you know, how Steinbrenner decides to do, whether or not he has the determination of, hey, we have already have a $200-plus payroll. That's plenty. Um, let's try to get some younger talent in here. I mean, right now the Yankees are going under a circumstance where the next two days, Ref Snyder is now called up. We talked about him last week. Now he got called up. He's going to be playing second base against the lefties. And look at the contract they gave Stephen Drew. I know a short-term contract, but he paid him $10 million a year. And now you're going to have a player – you know, a minor leaguer um, coming up at 24 years old, making his major league debut, and to see what he can what he can do. So, you know, it's it's important that they have a couple of guys probably like that in their in their uh, in their in their uh, rotation and in their everyday lineup. But to me, the Yankees always find a way to find and, and fill holes with their dollars. So, I, I go for it. And that will be interesting for the fans because I think. They're starting, Joel Sherman wrote about this, the farm system is starting to turn the corner and, and provide legitimate bats. You know, a guy like Greg Bird, you know, I'm going to look at Greg Bird's numbers here. Um, you know, Greg Bird 
so far this year. Well, he only got six home runs. You have to have, you, having, have to, uh, you know, you don't have to have you know, the system, you know, go barren. You don't have to do that. But right. you know, if you're if you feel like you're this close and you're already three games up on the rest of the competition in the AL East, and you can have but a I guy who can start fall in game love. one or two, I think they're falling in love with the idea of, of of see the problem that the Yankee fans have is I think now that the core five is gone. The, for the first time, all the mercenary acquisitions, which were never a problem because they were always appendages to the core, even though they were stars in their own right, some of them, never really bothered them. Now it bothers them because they look up and they say, okay, Arod and Teixeira are not forever. You know, McCann is not really a Yankee. Beltran's not a Yankee. Ellsbury, eh, well, he's young. Well, he's not really that young. He's 31. But if, he'll be here a while, so he might fall into that, kind of like Johnny Damon eventually did. Uh, you know, Brett Gardner, finally an all-star, homegrown guy. I remember talking to him in the Yankee clubhouse when he was still trying to make the team, you know, back in 2008. Um, so, you know, there's there's a um, – I think there's a certain level of want for the next wave of Yankee prospects. And I think when you hear about Severino and Judge and Bird, um, you know, even Mason Williams and Tyler Austin, you know, guys who were much hotter prospects at one point, I think it gets to a situation where the Yankee fan doesn't want to give that option up. Although you're right, Joe, if you look at this team, if you have a chance to get a Cole Hamill or even a Johnny Cueto, you know, that solidifies the rotation. You know the bullpen is good. Even if Sharon Arod turn into pumpkins, it's still going to be enough offense to get through a short series. You almost rather have that one, two, three with that bullpen because the game is so much about pitching. Um, and the Yankees don't have enough of it right now. I mean, you'd rather have Cole Hamill starting than CeCe Sabathia in a playoff game. That's what I'm so saying. You're right. you can I, mean, get I would starter. go for it. If you can, if you can get a starter that's going to pitch games one or two in your in that five-game series or in a seven-game series, it makes sense because you look around the American League, Mike, and like you said, it's not that big of a question whether or not the Yankees could be a World Series team if they get to the postseason anymore. And that might have been something that people would not have been willing to acknowledge in April. But you look at the way the division has panned out, you look at the way the rest of the league has panned out, why not them, especially if they were able to get someone to slide into that one or two spot? Hopefully Tanaka could be number two. Pineda still shows like he did again last night. At the top of his game, he has elite caliber stuff. And that bullpen is that bullpen. And you don't need more than really three solid pitchers to get you to a World Series. So all of a sudden, you look at the Yankees as a total in total right. roster plus rotation with another guy that you can slide into those one or two spots. All of a sudden, they're very dangerous and almost I mean, a very they have complete that roster. Big gap. They have that big gap with second, short, and third offensively. I mean, Chase Headley's been a big disappointment, and he's hurt now. Uh, Ref Snyder, who knows you know, defensively and what he's going to provide offensively, so there's that big gap, but you have enough offense. So I think I'm always the one, and I can't be a hypocrite, go for it. See, the, the reason I'm saying not to for the Mets is that I don't – I mean, look, if it's about giving up um, Conforto or even Michael Fulmer, who I think is going to be the next pitching prospect that they, people talk about, I have to really get back a return, an impactful long-term return, not a rental, which – Right, just that's a difference. The, the Yankees, the no Yankees have always rental. been able to, Mike. The Yankees have always been able to absorb the mistakes 
The Mets are not right. in a position where they can absorb a mistake like that. Well, we, you, have to, you have to make sure you're able to sign. It's not about making a mistake. You don't want to overpay for something that I really don't know the extra one or two wins they bring is going to matter because I still look at this as an 84-win team. It's not going to be enough to make the playoffs. So anyway, let's move on. We're going to take a quick break, uh, 11 o'clock hour. We have Ed Valentine joining us. Uh, Ed writes for uh, Big Blue View. And uh, we're going to talk about Jason Pierre-Paul, maybe a little teaser of uh, Giants training camp, which is not that far away. Cannot believe, Joe, the football season is just around the corner, even though we're in the midst of uh, the heat of the summer over here. You're listening to the Weekend Watchdogs. Mike Silva, Joe Bono, taking you all the way up till noon. We'll be back right after this. Super Bowl champion Giants running back Joe Morris joined the Weekend Watchdogs. You guys practice the flea flicker all year long. Yet the entire team, all 11 members of the offense, were shocked when Bill Parcells actually called for it and actually had to look over to the sidelines because you guys didn't believe that that was really the play. (laughs) (laughs) We worked on that play every week. No, I got to admit, there were times that we didn't, you know, sometimes I'd miss the pit, sometimes Phil would miss the guy and whatever. We we screwed up a couple of times, but we worked on it every week. We never called that play. I brought the play in from the sidelines. I was on the sidelines to play before. Came off to the sidelines, and I told Phil what the play was. He stepped out of the to take a look at Parcells to make sure. You sure you want this play? And here's Parcells <laughs> going, go. Run the freaking play. I, I send it in. You run this play. He throws this play, and I'm thinking, oh, my God. He actually threw it. And it was completed. And it, it changed the complexion of the game. It's the Weekend Watchdogs. Every Saturday, 10 to noon on Blog Talk Radio. It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Weekend Watchdogs, Joe Bono, Mike Silva, and off-season week unlike any other in Giants history for the latest on JPP and Big Blue. We welcome in Ed Valentine, writer-editor for Big Blue View. Follow him on Twitter at Big Blue View. Ed, good morning. How you doing? I'm good. Hey, uh, before we get started, I had to say, uh, you know, nice choice of entrance music there <laughs> when we're talking about JPP. Not, I'm sorry, Ed. I could not resist. Um <laughs> Obviously, this situation is, I mean, people have said, could you imagine the call Tom Coughlin gets and what his reaction is when he hears this news a week or so ago now? Um, Obviously, a lot of moving parts to this, but break break down the latest when it comes to JPP's contract. The Giants have the tender offer for the franchise tag there, and the latest is, is that he doesn't want to sign it because it could impact how soon he gets back to the field. Well, you know, again, I mean, I have to start by by cautioning and saying, you know, we're we're just not getting a whole lot of official information, you know, from Pierre Paul's camp or from the Giants or anything. You know, there's there's pretty much of a blackout in terms of information coming from, you know, coming from Pierre Paul. But what we've been able to ascertain is you know, the, the Giants have reportedly said they would like to keep him for 2015. He has reportedly, you know, taken the position that he doesn't want to sign the franchise tender. And, you know, from his perspective, that probably makes sense because it's the only leverage, it's the only control that he 
that he has. If he signs the franchise tag at this point, then the Giants have complete control over over how much he gets paid, over when he is activated, because uh, they'll put him on what they call the non-football injury list, which is for you know injuries away from the field. And then they will have control of everything when it comes to how much money he makes in 2015. So from JPP's perspective, you know, if he ultimately decides not to sign until he believes he can pass the physical, that makes some sense. It doesn't make it easy, and I don't understand why his camp seems not to want to, uh, to really give the Giants any information. But I guess this does make some sense. Ed, when you look at the news, and you're right, we this it's just a bizarre story. Who knows what's going on? I mean, if it wasn't for the illegally leaked medical records, we wouldn't even know that his uh, finger was amputated. I saw you retweet uh, Dr. Chow, who used to uh, be an NFL doctor over on Twitter at Pro Football Doc, and he, you know, gave some good information about what to expect. But I think, and I wonder your opinion. You have to start looking at the Giants' season and not put JPP in the equation right now because you don't know. It could be six weeks. I mean, it's not going to be inconceivable that he's not there the whole year. Right. I think that, you know, let's let's work under the assumption that Pierre Paul and the Giants, you know, work something out and that he plays for the Giants this season. You know, I think uh, a lot of people have said, well, the Giants should just cut ties with Pierre Paul and move on. And, you know, I understand that argument. But I don't think that's the way this is going to play out. I think that at some point this year you'll see Pierre Paul in a, in a Giants uniform. You know, and the problem is everybody, you know, you'll hear the medical opinion that, well, the bigger injury is the fracture to his thumb and the frac- whatever other fractures he has in his hand and, and you know, that that's a six-week recovery time. You know, the problem is, okay, that's six weeks, maybe two months, and that's right around the beginning of the season. The problem is that doesn't mean he's going to be 100% healthy and 100% fit and have 100% knowledge of this brand-new Giants defense and just be ready to go. You know, he's way behind physically. He's way behind in the learning curve on this defense because he hasn't learned it at all. He's got a lot of emotional stuff to go through at this point. He's got a lot of relearning to do in terms of how to use that hand, you know, and how to do things that he needs to do as a defensive lineman, you know, with a with a different hand. So it's going to take time. I mean, maybe he plays well at some point this year, but I doubt that it's going to be right away. Ed Valentine. At Big Blue View is our guest talking about the Giants and JPP. And, you know, Adam Shine is one of those individuals that wrote about that the Giants should just dump and part ways with Jason Pierre-Paul. And, and tell you what, and I understand the reasons why he did it and why he and his agent decided to do it. But when the Giants team doctor flies down to Miami to take a look at someone that he has had a relationship for five years as this guy's grown from a young man into a man and a father – and they won't let him see him and leave him waiting in the in the waiting room at the hospital. That I can I can understand why you would say, well, this guy does not care about the Giants organization the way the Giants organization 
cares about him, and you're going to give this guy $14 million and expect him to still be a leader on your team. Um, obviously, they've allocated the funds to make sure that that works on their salary cap this year, but what about just having a guy like him back into this team's locker room and this coaching staff and in the organization after the way they snubbed the medical staff this week? Well, I certainly understand that position, and – you know, it's it's a tricky situation, and again, we just haven't heard anything from the Giants. I certainly do understand the, the position of let's just cut ties and, and move on, because as you said, all of those things, the locker room, the relationship with the, with the organization, you know, the relationship with his teammates, who he apparently hasn't really communicated with either, you know, and whether or not you can trust this guy and whether or not you believe that he can play effective football this year, all of those things, all of those things play into it. You know, ultimately, though, you know, my, my gut feeling, I mean, knowing the history of the Giants organization and they're pretty loyal and, and you know, they tend to do whatever they can to stand behind players whenever possible – I think they'll try to work something out at least for this year. I have my doubts that that Pierre Paul will wear a Giants uniform after this year, but uh, you know, but we'll see how that goes. But I, I think maybe the long-term relationship is, you know, is not going to happen. But I think I still, you know, in my in my gut, I believe that Pierre Paul plays for the Giants this year. Ed, I know it's a very early. We're not even in training camp, but it's not that far away. Mm-hmm. Taking the Pierre Paul situation, which is so big, but you know, hard to do. What were you looking at before this whole thing came out? What were some of the things that you were looking forward to seeing with the Giants? What was your feel about the Giants going into uh, training camp? And has this Pierre Paul situation changed that significantly for you? Well, there's really two main focuses with the Giants at this point, you know, or there have been, you know, throughout the spring, and one is, you know, the the entire defense itself with uh, with Steve Spagnola returning. Um, you know, they simply, especially last year, didn't play well defensively at all. And if they're going to be competitive, if they're going to make a playoff run, uh, you know, they're going to have to play better defensively. You know, and, and the big question, and, and we go back to Pierre Paul again, the big question is, you know, no matter what scheme you put together, you know, the Giants don't, on paper, have a tremendous amount of talent on defense. And that complicates the whole JPP situation, too, because, you know, as much as all the other things, he's the most talented defensive lineman that you have, and it's not an easy thing to just just say goodbye. So, I mean, defense is one, and the other one is going to be the the offensive line, especially with Will Beattie being injured, um, you know, for probably at least the first half of the season. You know, can first-round draft pick Eric Flowers hold down the left tackle job? Uh, You know, can Marshall Newhouse play the right tackle? Uh, You know, the Giants have so many weapons on offense with, you know, with Beckham and and. Cruz coming back, you know, whether he's the player that he used to be or not, if he can at least be effective. They have Victor Cruz, they have Randall, you know, they have Shane Vereen as a running back they can throw the ball to. They have a lot of weapons, you know, for Eli Manning to use. You know, the question is simply can they keep him upright to use them all? 
So, you know, that's the other one to watch, you know, through training camp is, is how that offensive line shakes out. And I'm with you. This offense has the chance to be dynamic. I really like the Shane Vereen signing. I think I might actually see the Giants execute some screen passes in 2015. Um, but if they're not dynamic and they don't score 24-plus points a game, I'm very concerned that this defense is going to be able – I mean, we saw in Spagnolo's first time around with the Giants how early – how much the defense struggled early on with his, with his system – and I just look at the roster, and I just don't see a ton of talent. I mean, unless guys like Kennard are going to take major steps up, they're going to have rookie impacts, and Landon Collins is going to be the real deal at safety, even the cornerbacks, yeah, Cromartie and Dominique Rogers, Dominique Rogers, Cromartie, and Okamura may be the two best cornerbacks in the NFC East, but behind them, there really isn't the depth that has been there, has been there in the past. Well, you're, you're exactly right. Defensively, there is potential, you know, with Devon Kennard, with DeMontre Moore, you know, Jonathan Hankins is a very good player. Uh, Giants are hoping Jay Bromley takes a step forward. They think that Landon Collins will be a good player at safety. They think that either, you know, Nat Burhey or, or Cooper Taylor will be able to handle the other safety. You're right about the, uh, about the two corners, you know, but but again, you know, as you said, there's no depth behind the two corners. There's really no proven. Well, there's no proven player at safety at all. Um, you know, and there are potentially, you know, some excellent players on the defensive line, but there's not much there that's actually proven. So, you know, so it, it's a fragile defense, and we're just not sure what we're going to get. You know, you just hope that, that they can occasionally stop people so that the Giants don't have to score, you know, 38 points a game to try to win. And final question, what were your just impressions of what they did in free agency this past season? Obviously, they spent a lot of money on Dwayne Harris. Giants have been looking for a punt returner and a kick returner. Obviously, they have guys on the roster in Randall and Beckham that could do that, but that's not their preference. And then the guys they signed on the defensive end are guys that are mostly really big-time special teams players, again, more depth of the linebacker position than anything else. What was your overall thoughts? And now I know we're a couple months after the frenzy, but uh, what the Giants did in, in free agency this season. Well, I have no real problem with what they brought in. Uh, I know they were heavily criticized for the amount of money that they paid to Dwayne Harris, and it remains to be seen as to whether or not he er he'll earn that money. But I certainly understand, you know, why they wanted him. I mean, the skill set, you know, to be able to return both kickoffs and punts, and if you study him, which I spent some time with a former scout this summer studying him, what he's able to do on kickoff coverage teams, there's some potential for him as a wide receiver as well. If all of those things come to fruition, you know, we'll be, we'll be praising the signing of him and we'll forget about the amount of money that the Giants spent. The one thing I still don't really understand, I know that they made a big pitch for Devin McCourty and didn't get him, and then they simply felt like there, wasn't, you know, there weren't any other safeties on the market really worth spending a lot of money on. But I still don't really understand you know, not bringing in some sort of a veteran presence at safety. That position is so important in terms of communication and leadership on defense. 
and now you're asking a group of guys who really have no NFL experience, you know, to be the communicators and, and the, the glue that holds that defense together, and, and that's a difficult thing. So that's the one thing I really don't understand is why they didn't bring in a veteran presence at safety. And I know you mentioned the offensive line already. Will Beatty, what do we expect in terms of the t- the timetable? When's the earliest that uh, Giant fans think that he could be coming back and whether or not he'll be coming back to an offensive line that's overachieved or will be sorely needing him at that point? Well, I think that uh, Beatty is almost certainly going to wind up on the pup list, which will, you know, from the beginning of the season, which will mean that he'll be, uh, he'll be, ineligible for at least the first six games so it would be basically you're looking at you know then after the first six games the Giants can can get him to practice for a couple of weeks so you're looking at you know best case scenario for Beattie's second half of the season and I think it's really interesting you know what will happen with Beattie because you know he's in the third year of a, of a huge five-year contract at the end of this year, all of the guaranteed money in that contract is paid. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see, you know, where he slides in to the lineup when, you know, when he comes back. If Flowers does an adequate job, you know, and they leave and they decide to leave him at left tackle and, and push Beatty over to the right side, you know, perhaps that's an indication that maybe after this year, you know, they'll let Beatty go. But, you know, that's all down the road. And I think the whole, the whole thing with, you know, with what happens with Beattie just depends on, on how well Flowers plays. And, you know, the, the history of, of offensive tackles as rookies trying to play the left side is, is a mixed bag. Some do fairly well, you know, and some are a complete disaster. And the one thing I can say about Flowers is that I like the kid's mentality. I like the kid's attitude. He seems willing to work. He seems willing to learn. You know, he seems to understand that he doesn't know everything. So I think that gives him a chance to succeed. Ed Valentine, BigBlueView.com is the website. Outstanding Giants coverage all season and all offseason long. We thank you for a few minutes this morning, and uh, we look forward to catching up with you as we approach the season. Thanks, Ed. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks, Ed. Ed Valentine, good stuff, interesting stuff, really uh in depth, you know, Joe. I've been watching tricky on situation. HBO. Very tricky, very bizarre. You've been story. watching ballers. You've been watching. I've been watching ballers on HBO, and I thought <laughs> of that. It, here's the thing: this week, there's two great future episodes of Ballers. First is JPP blowing his finger off. I mean, that could be you know a couple episodes well, that's worth. Thirty minutes easy, yeah. You know, DeAndre Jordan. What happened? With Mark Cuban and the Clippers and the whole, I mean, that night on Twitter, I don't know if you were following, but that was one of the funniest nights ever because people are, first of all, Chris Broussard of ESPN saying that Cuban's running around frantically around uh, you know, Dallas and then correcting himself, Houston, looking for DeAndre Jordan. That was kind of silly. Now, the when Cuban war, came out. The, the emoticon battle between NBA players, that one was going on too. The emoticon battle, yeah, that, you know, emoticon battle, that, you know, that, that, that was funny. But then Cuban basically, and it, listen, I give Mark, Mark is an entrepreneur, and, and he's gotten places because he doesn't accept no for an answer. Basically, Joe up to the guy's house. Guy wasn't home, he texted him, says he's on a date, which was in the middle of free agency. You're going to take time out to go to the movies with, with some girl? I mean, let's be real. 
in your whole life, your whole future. Oh, I'm on a date. No, you're probably figuring out, let me sign my contract first. But then I realized we're talking about athletes, which common sense, as with JPP, never is in play. I'm saying there's another great episode of Ballers. I mean, you could do maybe, you know, a whole half a season on just these two things. I just and, find it extremely funny that you had zero interest in watching the most viewed soccer match of all time in this country, yeah. yet you've been locked in for Ballers, which starts at 10 o'clock at night on well, HBO on uh, Sunday night. On, yeah, on demand. I have a thing called the DVR. You think I, I mean, I may watch it live. I, by the way, I, I watch a lot of good shows. I am, I am struggling with this year's True Detective. I am, I'm, I'm I don't like, watch that. I watched I the first one with McConaughey and Woody Harrelson. Fantastic. Loved it. Got really into it by the third, fourth episode. I'm not sure if this is going to happen this time. And I cannot. It's like I watch, I flip through the channels during the week and, you know, Old School's on and Wedding Crashers is on and the Internship's on I and Swingers is so on. I can't, but I know, but I can't. And Vince Vaughn is this, like, serious criminal mastermind. Yep. And yeah. True Detective, I, yeah. I just can't buy it. I can't buy it right now. Tells you the movie career is coming to an end when you're doing a, well, you know, sitcoms now are a big deal. When you look at The Walking Dead. I mean, I mean, look, I, I watch, I watch, you know, Ballers, I, I, I was skeptical and then, I enjoyed it. The Rock is, is interesting. <laughs> you got a hater. Of you got that dude that played hater in uh, you know the Austin, Austin Kutcher Vegas movie over there. Uh, I watch Tyrant. I watch um, I watch Suits. I watch The Walking Dead. I got to you know. watch Suits. A friend of mine loves love Suits. Has watched it. I, I haven't caught up. I've just the last couple of years Every been watching, the last couple of seasons, so I haven't really gone back to the beginning. I need but a new show. I just funny... got done with Friday Night Lights, and now I need something else to. Yeah, I haven't. I never got. Going. I mean, I, got, I love the movie. I just never got into the show. Here's the thing about Jason Pierre Paul. It started, and this is the power of Twitter now. Do you realize that Twitter has changed the dynamic of this story twice? The first part of this is when there's rumors of JPB blowing up his hand. And some random girl, you know, teenage girl, who lives next door to JPP, tweets the truck, the U-Haul truck he had, with basically enough to blow up a small village, it looked like. And that's where this all starts. you got guys like incarcerated Bob, you know, breaking stories from hospital workers. And then Adam Schefter is out there printing his medical records. For what it's worth, pro football talk, uh, it was Ed Florio. Uh, Mike Florio said he, Mike, excuse me, Mike Florio. Um, Mike Florio said he wouldn't have done that without a release from JPP. We don't know if JPP gave his permission. I agree with him on that. You know, you're really playing with fire with that kind of a release. Uh, if I saw it, I probably would report it. I don't know. And this is where I get the ethics of journalism. I'm not that up to snuff with. It's tricky depending on the outlet you work for. Now, if he gets sued, Schefter ESPN will get sued, so he's protected. But now with a lot of freelance people, but you're freelance, you don't want to touch that. Your personal assets will be, you know, hit up. Someone's going to get in a lot of trouble in the hospital if that wasn't authorized by JPP. That's a big deal. But how weird is that? Like, it's a girl on Twitter posting the truck. His hand gets blown up. All sorts of crazy rumors uh, go around. You got guy named incarcerated Bob involved. Then you got Schefter running around like he always does to get the gossip. And he posts a picture of his medical records. And the Giants can't get access to them. The team can't get access to And then you have all the, you know, all the creativity that comes from Twitter in this scenario, too. They had the, uh, 
what's the guy with four fingers? He just has the white glove. He's like the ham hamburger guy, the hamburger helper. Oh, the hamburglar. The hamburger. Not the ham. Not the hamburger. That's a McDonald's. He's like the hamburger helper. He only has four fingers. People posting that. Oh, People the posting um, all different. Isn't he the purple guy? He's a hamburger. No, helper. not no, 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 no. Not the grimace. Nothing to do with McDonald's. But uh, you know, had all these different memes. There were so oh, many. Oh, the different hamburger photos. helper makes a great meal. Yeah, I know the hand. Yeah, that I guy. Get it. I, I know. And then there were all these different uh, memes that were out there, and then you had all these different uh, leaked photos. You didn't know which one was actually, if any of them were actually yeah. his hand Some or not. And the fact of the matter was that he was not the only NFL player to have a fireworks accident. Chris Harris of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, did something similar. It just blows your mind. And, you know, they talked about, I think Neil Best tweeted it out this week, that it's the scariest time of the year for NFL executives because you have these guys in OTAs and then they have like a two to three week window where they're on their own before training camp starts. And, they and do you're just things. so scared. And they just do every stupid year, things. it's either Joe, fireworks, drunk driving, and just all this stuff. And that's why we get shows like Ballers <laughs> because these things Joe, happen. Which is realistic. Joe, he, this is like stuff that, that eighth graders do. Like he's setting off fireworks on his hand. What are you, what are you a child? How stupid could you be? He's going to lose $60 million. They don't think. I don't get it. When I was in eighth grade, I hated fireworks. I hated on 18th Avenue before New York under Giuliani went to basically, you can't, I mean, they'll, they'll pull you over for having a little pop thing now. It was like a war zone. It would start late May, mid-May. I don't know how it was over in, uh, in, in Garrison Beach by where you were. Um, and then it would, it would go all the way until like a week after the 4th of July. It was like a war zone every night. It was silly. People do stupid things. They throw, and some of this stuff is like a half a stick of dynamite. I was, I was a snaps guy. I never that went was into a, it. That's all I did. I did the snaps, the snaps, just the snaps. Throw them on the floor, the concrete hard. That that's was it. it. Maybe but if that, I was that, feeling I a little bit, I didn't bit, understand that either. What was the point of that? Like, okay, I made a noise. I don't get it. It made me feel a little rebellious without actually having to danger anybody. And then if I wanted to get a little crazy, I'd bring out right. the sparklers, and you could write your name in the sparklers real fast. <laughs> but now I don't that's do that anymore. Now thing. it's me, Brooklyn Bridge Park, wine, right. cheese, a cooler, sandwiches, some nice <laughs> sit back in a chair, fireworks, spectacular, done professionally by Macy's, and then, and then right. retrieve back to my humble abode. Your humble abode, and then, uh, you know, you could go to bed and, uh, and dream about the Islanders, uh, which, you know, for you, you had to see your Islanders. You could dream about the Islanders at Barclays Center, which I'll get to after our phone call, because our buddy Drew is on hold. The bait and switch has, become, has begun. And I saw your agitation. I saw your anger on Twitter this week. And I will tell you this much right now: you should have listened to me. See, I'm like the I'm like the the, the last honest man with the lantern walking around in the dark, saying, "Listen to me." Or like Paul Revere, the British are coming. Except you clowns didn't listen. That's the difference. That's like I am. Okay, Drew from Bayshore, you're on the air. How you doing, Drew? Good, good guys. <laughs> good morning. You know, happy post uh, Fourth of July. I actually tried falling in last week, and I but I just missed the tweet. We had a little earlier show. Yeah, I missed yeah, that. Will, Sorry about we'll, that. We'll uh, amazing that we're talking Giants football after a great uh, Met win last night, which featured uh, you know Noah Syndergaard with 13 Ks, a Lucas Duda home run. I mean, back to back. Eric Collins leaving the pitcher in. I, I mean, when does it end? I, what a win for the Mets. I mean, maybe this is the. Uh, the future of things to come for the next uh, couple of games or a couple months this season. 
Um, you know, it's funny. I haven't started watching Ballers yet, but it reminds me. I've seen the promos. I have a tape. Uh, I just haven't gotten to it yet. Reminds me, you guys remember a show called Playmakers that was on ESPN? Oh, ESPN, it was in ESPN 2003. Yeah, like, a while ago, right. Yeah, yeah. And it was about, yep. like, it, was, it leaned more about, like, pro football and, and the things that go mm-hmm. on behind the scenes. And there was a rumor that the NFL told them to pull it or they weren't going to get the new contract or something like that. I thought yeah, that was ESPN a great show. Had the, uh, <laughs> right, ESPN had the contract uh, with uh, the NFL and didn't like the way their players were being portrayed uh, in the in the TV show. Yeah, it was a great yeah, show. No. I don't know if you guys remember that. It was really. I, do, re- I do remember. I don't know how it was. In com- it's been so long in comparison to Ballers. Look, and by the way, Joe, this just awful announcing just tweeted. The Ballers has been it just came out on Twitter. Ballers has been renewed for a second season. Wow. So, <laughs> wow. There you go. You know what? How ironic. Honestly, it's the power. And you know my brother. You guys know my brother. He's a massive professional wrestling fan. It's yeah. the power of the Rock. San Andreas, which my brother saw right when it came out and said it was one of the worst movies he's ever seen, has done $300 million worldwide. That's true. And poor Honorage, everybody dumped all over Honorage the whole time. Hey, Drew, what are you you doing for the game later today? Uh, Not too much, actually. I'm actually going to the game tomorrow. We're all geared up to uh, see Steven Matt in person. And uh, unfortunately... Uh, he's not pitching, I guess. So, yeah, I don't mind me. So, he pitches like he's double parked. So, I don't mind that. I, you know. Let's uh, let's uh, let's get together today. Let's watch the game. Okay. Right yeah, we'll right down the block. Joe. By the way, and, and you spoke on the fireworks. It's funny. I was in Howard Beach last weekend. And let me tell you something. The display that the group did on my fiance's block, I mean, I, I had nostalgic moments. Well, flashback. Drew, you're in Howard 80s, Beach. That's that's the, that's the that's the mob. They're not gonna they're not gonna put the mob in jail. I mean, that's probably the only legitimate non Macy thing that's allowed in New York. You know, let me tell Howard you Beach. Something. It's all mobbed up. <laughs> let me tell you something. There were trunks trunks of cars filled with fireworks, and I'm not saying like M80s and and like you know just stuff that makes no. I mean. Stuff that shoots in the air and and, and was like uh, and exploded so, hey, Drew, all different colors. Drew, great. I need to know. I need to know whether or not you were introduced as a friend of mine or a friend of ours. <laughs> <laughs> we try, I tried to keep a low profile, as you would, as you would imagine. Uh, we just hung out on the street. I snapped up two photos quickly. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to draw any attention to myself as the uh, on the covers uh, rolled up and then rolled away. <laughs> Well, Uh-oh. Drew, you and Joe could have your nice little date this uh, this week, yeah, and then we can hear together. about it next week. What the, Joe, you can, you can get all your one? frustrations about the Mets out on him. You'll have a whole audience to yourself. You could do the weekend yeah, watchdog. I'm by myself. Drew, Drew I'm, by my, I'm, by my, I'm by myself today. Actually, maybe I'll walk huh? down there a little later. I, I, I don't yeah, know if I'm going to make it, it there in time for uh, first pitch, but I'll probably be down there a little bit later. Yeah, let's figure it out. Let's figure it out. We'll talk later. Uh, all right. Yeah. All right. So you and Drew, so Drew basically called the show to ask you out on a date. That was the the, the point of that phone call. He couldn't just text you. I um yeah. the uh, I am uh, I've been left. I was left out of in uh, plans for a Taylor Swift concert tonight. I was left out of plans. You really want to so go? So I am I am by myself. 
and you know really what? Go? When when you're by yourself in the winter time, that's fine. You don't feel obligated to leave. You just order food in. You, know, you sit down on the couch. You, you watch TV. It's leave. going to be really nice out tonight. And I just yep. the idea of just kind of just being by myself all day in the apartment is kind is kind of sad. But this is what happens at this age because all your friends they used to be within like a five minute walk radius. You used yeah. to just be like, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? Nothing, nothing, nothing. Let's go out tonight. Now, who lives in Hoboken? Who lives in Queens? Who lives in White Cloth? Who lives out on the island? It's much harder to get everyone together. It's called it's called, it's called adulthood, Joe. <laughs> it's called no, it's awful. It's not. It's not. The, that's not always uh, uh, peaches and cream. So now that Darren Williams has been let go or you know bought out by uh, the Brooklyn Nets. There was a tweet earlier in uh, the day from uh, – let me make sure I get the guy's name correct because he always tweets out, and I don't want to not give credit. It was from uh, Audio Mongo. That's the name of the Twitter handle. It's uh, the WFAN audio guy. You know who I'm talking about, right, Yeah, Jeff? Absolutely. He says, given the hype and expectations, Darren Williams will go down as one of the biggest failures that a pro team in New York City has ever had. I, you know what? I don't know if that, to me, is true. But I'll tell you what. Um, I think the hype was always manufactured. And I go back to this, and this is with this whole Barclays thing. You're seeing it with the Islanders already. They're trying to price you out of the building. I saw you, you know, rattling the cage. Do you want me to go uh, into that? That nonsense? What? A little well, bit. Two questions. A, do you agree with the Darren Williams comment? I don't. I mean, he's up there, and and Vic, this is a guy that Mike D'Antoni mm. wanted to trade Carmelo Anthony for because he felt that he would have been the point guard uh, to get the to really put his speedball offense uh, into the next level uh, as Knicks coach. He goes to Brooklyn, and um, you know, uh, nothing goes. You know, he basically well, he lost ankle issues. He obviously had yeah big time ankle issues hurt him big time. And then what happened to him? It looked like he, listen, he never was a leader. If he's going to be your best player in a max contract and a point guard, he needs to be a leader. And what's happened is his rumors of having fights with Lionel yeah, Hollins. His, his play, his play deteriorated. His because his play worsened. His time on the court was limited. And instead of trying to rebound and be a positive guy in the locker room and just play that role and play the hardest he can, and uh, you know when he had spots, he mean the game six against Atlanta. Played great. Or game was it game five? Game five or six against Atlanta. He had a huge game in the playoffs this year, but ultimately he decided to go the other route, which was to um, be a bad influence, to be combative with his head coach. But yeah, when that trade was made, remember the Nets made that trade with him still having a year left on his contract because they wanted to, you know, kind of sell him on the plan of what was going to happen in Brooklyn. And obviously, listen, they had a couple of good years where they made the second round of the playoffs, but he was not the player they thought they were getting. And the only saving grace is, is that, you know, uh, Derek Favors really hasn't become – if Derek Favors became DeMarcus Cousins, then then they would have then it would be a much right. bigger deal, bigger problem for the Nets. Um, so, in the middle, right. listen, the Nets – and listen, Prokhorov, to his credit, are willing to buy him out to get him off this team because they don't want him to be a bad influence for some of the younger new guys they're bringing around. Um, the roster, and the Nets are going to do their best to try to navigate out of this position that they're in, which is the next three years where the Celtics have their pick, have the right to swap, and have their pick again. Oh, we're going to spend money. No, the, the, the sky's the limit now. All of a sudden, the luxury tax is an issue. 
What a bait and switch. Got him in Brooklyn, got the thing situated, built the Best Buys and all the shopping around there. They got their train, little goat, little train going in. Now they could all go to the Taylor Swift concert. Yeah, you got a little NBA team. If you want to go to that, that's fine. I'll give the you a team. I'll give you, I'll give you a, you might recall this. All right. So I didn't go to the uh, scrimmage on Wednesday night. That was my initial plan. And then I had a, you know, farewell of drinks thing for work. And it was like open bar and food. And I was like, mm, I just kind of, kind of just. You actually realized that going to see a, a hockey scrimmage was not worth No, I mean, it just had, you know, it was already like 7 o'clock. And I, you know, I was feeling good. And I'm like, I'm going to get there for 8.15, 8.30. I'm going by myself at this point. What's, what's really the point? But you guys might recall that when I attended the preseason game last September against the Devils, you know, someone asked me, hey, what quarter are they in? You know, on the way out, right. one of the uh, Barclays workers, and I said it's only right. three periods in hockey. Uh, someone right. that went to the Barclays Center this week told me that as they were going through the turnstiles, whatever, they said, enjoy the show. Oh, good God. And, um, you know, I just basically. So what's your big gripe? I saw you rant and raving about prices All of right. Islanders tickets. So I am I mean, a, not that anybody I'm, really cares because people don't want to make care. a trip out there from Long Island. People They'll watch it on TV. So, but go ahead. Give your. I mean, listen, your, these, these, the season ticket numbers have been overall very good. Uh, 8,000 plus full season tickets. Um, 65% or so are in Brooklyn and Manhattan. Uh, about 30 so we go in Long Island. Who cares about the roots of Long Island? That was all about Brett Yormark. No, we're going to still have the these are These are full, these are full season tickets. see what I'm doing here? Off. I can't talk about it on the air. You see what I'm doing here, the, the gesture? That's the gesture I'm doing here. Anyway, That's an X-rated anyway. gesture, by the way. So, so they you send guys out, use your imagination. So they send out a email that uh, says, as a season ticket holder, you'll have exclusive pre-sale rights starting Monday at noon to buy single-game tickets. And I'm like, okay, great. Like, I'll buy a few more. I'll look at the Ranger games, maybe opening night. I'll buy an affordable, maybe $60, $70 ticket in the upper deck, you know, just to, just yep. to, just to have other people might want to go, whatever. I go on, and I look at these ticket prices. The ticket prices for the first Ranger game, the last seat in the row, on Ticketmaster, this is not StubHub, this is not the secondary market. This is Ticketmaster and the team was $275 for the last seat in the building on Ticketmaster. Um, then we at Isles Blog did some investigative reporting, like only Isles Blog can do. And uh, we found out that the Islanders and Barclays Center are adapting what they're calling dynamic ticket pricing this year, which means game to game, not yeah, like what the Islanders did, not what the Islanders did with the, you know, the bronze, uh, the Mets did with the bronze and silver and gold packages or whatever, where you knew what the prices were for a lot of games throughout the year they're pretty much saying game to game depending on the opponent depending on the night of the week depending on the demand the tickets that are available could exponentially rise, right either raise or decrease so to get in for a single game ticket for say opening night it would going to cost you 200 dollars to just get in the building um right and what i think that part of the thing that they're thinking is that they're now driving people towards buying more season and partial packages, weekend plans, things like that. You get so some cost as, certainty. As, yeah. Yeah. So I think, and ultimately that might end up being better for both the fans and for the and for Barclays Center because they'll end up having more seats filled each and every night. Because if you look at these individual game prices, 
it makes very little sense to try to just be a fan and say, I'm going to pick and choose which games I want to go to. You might as well look to get some kind of a, a, a partial plan package um, that way. And then if you can't go to games, look to move them on the secondary market. Interesting. I just had a little bit of sticker shock. You had a, you had sticker shock. Um, did you call, did your investigative report in, include calling that, that guy, what was his name, Joe, that tried to sell you on the net tickets a couple of weeks ago, uh, the random <laughs> call? No, I don't Speaking know of which... Speaking of which, and I know we have to take a quick break before the final segment, I'll tell you something. I've been getting calls on my, my – if you're calling my home line, you're in the FU category because if that's the only number you got for me, you ain't catching me on the home line. That's a, that's a you know, emergency – that's the FU line. That's for telemarketers and you know, maybe a family member who doesn't want to call my cell phone you know, tries me on there. The Mets have been calling me, the ticket office, every day this week. God help the ticket agent that catches me on the phone and asks me to buy tickets. I'm, I'm really scared. I feel Why bad. aren't you picking up the phone? I'm not home. First of all, they call it at like, you know, 11 o'clock in the morning. I'm not at the house. I'm not unemployed. And if I wasn't employed, I'm not buying your tickets. Maybe the other you know, 10,000 Mongos that they call are, are sitting home waiting for a call from the Mets. I'm not. They don't have my cell phone, and that was purposely done. Um, God help the ticket person that tries to give me a cell. I'm actually going to try to have them sell me on buying Mets tickets, and then I'm going to slam them. And considering that I've – listen, the Mets know who I am. That's not me being a braggart. They know who I am. I'm going to say send this recording for I training mean, purposes. Certain up people to Jeff. within the organization do, but I don't think Jeff the guy who, who calls you, the guy who calls you, no, is no that guy might not know me. He might be listen. You never know. He might listen a week ago. People in the organization know who I am. I'm going to tell him record this, send it to Jeff, get back to me with my demands, and then maybe if my demands are met, then maybe I'll buy season tickets or a partial plan or second half plan. But it goes back to what Howard said, Howard McNeller in the show. You know, when they're making that push to the All-Star break, they're telling you they're not meeting their, you know, their sales people. So maybe they are meeting their expectations. They want to increase the sales a little bit on I heard on they're giving the away Foo Fighter tickets too now to people. Well, they said they sold out when you saw the commercial the other day. Wasn't like the two shows? The two shows of Foo Fighters, one on Tuesday, one on Wednesday? Isn't that something? I heard, I heard that they were like, you know, you know, people came by with the headset and they were kind of giving away some tickets, you know, to people oh, who they don't were, want to be empty. Know, partial or season ticket plan holders being like, hey, and mm. you want to go to see the Foo Fighters. That, that's not a good thing. Well, you know, concerts after games, it's just it's not concerts. So anyway, let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Weekend Watchdogs, Mike Silva, Joe Bono, final segment coming up. Give us a call, 646-716-8187. Send us a tweet, at Mike Silva Media, at jbono611, and listen to us live on replay at theweekendwatchdogs.com. We'll be right back. You never know it. But Mike Silva was born in Brooklyn. Could Jay-Z have been any more cliche with his choice of colors for the Nets? I would have went the old traditional ABA Nets colors. I would not have made it black and white. Mike Silva was raised in Brooklyn. At least embrace the ABA history if they wanted to have a puncher's chance of me having some respect for this new iteration of the New Jersey Nets. Because they are always going to be the New Jersey Nets to me. But Mike Silva hates the Brooklyn Nets. Is it on the level of the Knicks? No, but why do they have to be? I don't think they're competing they with talk. the Knicks to the because level that talk. you think they are. Talk about being on that level. You have President Barclays talking trash about we're the only team in uh, in, in New York in the playoffs. So be it. You are want they to say wrong? That. I mean, that's, that's well, pretty no, much what, but just that's shut what, up. That's what the stepbrothers step- Tune in to the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono, Saturdays 10 to noon on Blog Talk Radio. 
It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Mike Silva, Joe Bono, and could I, let me tell you, the funny part about every one of those PSAs you put together about me is every one of them has been right. You laugh and you do it as a mocking type of thing. The Brooklyn Net one was on. Now they don't want to talk. Now it's about let's build a team. Well, here's something for you, Joe. At 4.30, if you're not into, you know, you're alone and you're not into the Met game if the Mets are already down. Because once the Mets get down 3 4 nothing, you might as well shut the game off and they, they ain't winning. So you could turn your attention elsewhere. It's Harvey Day. It's Harvey Day. It's Harvey Day. Will you be watching Third starter Day. Nick Summer League? That might be a more, see, what you want to do if you really are a junkie. You watch your Harvey Day. You go out and try to do something socially after Harvey Day. That's will be done at 4 o'clock. They'll be done about 7.30, 7 probably. You go out. You could do something, and then you could, you know, if you want to stay up late, you watch the replay on MSG. I'm sure there'll be a replay on MSG. You could finish your Saturday night watching some Nick basketball out in uh, Vegas, have you? By the way, uh, just I just watched, time, uh, so we know that. I was going to say, the, the, the Knicks uh, had the, all their free agent signings all in one place uh, this week, and they did the signings and I the photo op. And they, had, they did a photo op of the four guys, O'Quinn, Williams, Lopez, a follow. And I just looked at this group, and I said, this team is going to stink. No, I think it was a good haul. They have some good role players. They got Carmelo coming <laughs> back. It's funny, I... Uh, I, I knew that this would. Uh, I decided to poke the bear with our buddy Frank Isola of the Daily News. So, after I saw Robin Lopez and all his Harry Potter quips, and I noticed that people, the fans, and this would drive some of the writers nuts. The fans act like they've known the player for for 50 years, and they now they're calling him Rolo. That's his uh, nickname, Robin Lopez. Yeah, Rolo. So I said, to, I texted Isola. I said, Hey, boy, that Rolo, he's really going to be a force. I said, Great to see the free agent hall that uh, Phil Jackson brought in. So I saw the response to me and says, go read a book. I think that was kind of his uh, Francesca kind of mocking way mm-hmm. of me. I said, you know what, Frank? I actually have. It's called 11 Rings. And I didn't get a response from that. <laughs> so I thought my quip was pretty, was, was pretty good. That was a good, now that we was know, a good comeback. That was a good comeback. Now, we know uh, Nick Bono, who is, is related to Joe Bono, texts us after I tweeted out. didn't take more than six minutes, probably. I tweeted out the whole, the Ballers has been renewed for a second season. Nick Bono tweets, the Rock is the exception to all things entertainment. He electrifies whatever he does. No surprise here. <laughs> I don't know. Do you really think the show, I mean, maybe if the Rock is not in it, I'm sure that. Uh, Listen, my brother you know, maybe is this diehard wrestling fan that feels obligated because he feels like he's validating wrestling by watching whatever it is the Rock does. They have these movies like the John Cena has these movies, the Marine, who don't ever see a theater, yet they do great numbers in like DVD sales and on-demand sales. They just absorb everything that their guys do. I mean, how else do you explain San Andreas um, being like the biggest like movie in Warner Brother history? So is he not? Is The Rock not doing any kind of like wrestling anymore? Is he not like you know? I don't watch wrestling, so I have no idea. He's kind of what they would call a part timer, meaning that uh, he can so he come went back from being the man. Yeah, was but he the went man to now he's he's done. Well, he wanted to you know pursue uh, 
you know, motion pictures, TV, et cetera, all those things. It wasn't like he just been at, you know, fell out of favor in the wrestling world. Whenever he comes back, it's a huge deal. But yeah, there are certain guys that are part-timers that might come back for like a month, two months to help sell a big event. Like the next WrestleMania is in Austin, Texas, or outside of Austin, Texas, in Arlington where the Cowboys play. And Stone Cold Steve Austin, who hasn't fought in a decade, there's rumors about him coming back and fighting for that match because of the trying to sell 110,000 seats for that. So, you know, that's kind of where The Rock is. Like when, when WrestleMania was at MetLife Stadium a couple of years ago, The Rock was in the main event. So, there Are you, you still it. watching wrestling, or is, is that just your brother's thing? I do bits and pieces. Your brother's getting married. Do, uh, that, that's going to stop. That stuff is going to stop. That, don't worry about it. No, I do, uh, I do bits and pieces. I do, uh, you know, I'm in it, I'm in it, I'm out of it. Right now, I'm kind of in a low period. Plus, Monday nights right now, The Bachelorette is on at the same time. As as Monday Night Raw, so it's very difficult very to make uh, those kind of decisions. I'm I'm surprised you're able to prepare for the show. I mean, you know, preparing for a show is not about you know Saturday morning. You prepare by being on top of what's going on throughout the week, and you don't have to be engrossed in every second of every day. I think at this point, you really have enough social media points and ways to recap where you know you don't have to like follow the the timeline every second of every day. Although, again, the DeAndre Jordan Mark Cuban thing was kind of funny, and, and Twitter could have some funny moments. But you watched some disappointing television, I have to tell you. The Bachelorette. Well, Weren't they at City had, Field recently? What was the what was the deal? About yeah, City yeah, they Field? had um, that was one of the dates. They were in New York and uh, they uh, went to City Field and uh, she ran the bases with one of the guys and, and did other things and they did a rose ceremony at uh, at the mound. It was cold. It must have been like February or, or March or whatever. But the big scandal here is that she actually. I mean, it may have happened previous years, but she slept with one of the guys, like, in the middle of everything. So this is a big deal. So obviously, when she was growing up, her parents didn't take her to watch women's soccer and kind of teach her the kind of, like, real values that sports and competition and achievement could bring. She was on one of those, uh, she was on the, the track to sloppy drunk, is what I would say. <laughs> you know, there's two tracks. Was- there's achievement. And, and respect, and then there's the sloppy drunk track. So, you know, depending which way your daughter wants to go is up to how well you introduce her to team sports and athletics. I think that's my public service announcement. There's, you, you could cut that one up for next week. For all the future fathers or current fathers who have daughters who are still not yet, you know, been turned by society, here's how you prevent them from going down the sloppy drunk track and going on to the bachelorette and then creating a controversy to try to get themselves into the world of, of entertainment mm. media for no other reason than what they look like and what they did between the sheets than for what they can do from All a journalistic right. perspective. Hey, so let me, uh, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Um, since you said some things during the show that you hadn't uttered before, I'm just wondering if we want to make it interesting for ourselves and our listeners and uh, people that follow, but if the Yankees do make the World Series, would you go to a World Series game wearing a Mark Teixeira jersey? Can we make that kind of like a bet, something that we could follow throughout the course of the year? Too cold. i got to go to the stadium. i got to go to the Bronx. One game. I just watch it One at home. game. No. One game. I don't know if I'd go to City Field for a playoff game. I'd probably watch it at home. I'd enjoy it more. I'm not into the stadium anymore, man. 
You're not into people anymore. I'm not like. into the state. I'm not into the state. No, it's just like you got to pay for parking. You want to know I'm still sore at City Field? You want to hear why? I'm, I'm, that's not why I don't. I, I go to games. I would Maybe I would go to. I mean, first of all, how am I going to World Series tickets? It's not like, you know, they're just going to appear. You'd have them. to pay You're for them. You're going to buy part of each. No, because you've been no. so critical of the Yankees. You've been so critical of Mark Teixeira. I think that it would kind of create some nice fodder and get some traction if Mike Silva vowed that he would attend the World Series critical of Mark wearing Teixeira. Mark Teixeira jersey um, or at least a T-shirt. We'll go T-shirt. Those are cheaper. I'll wear Take my some money A-Rod Forgive jersey, which I don't even know what that is, the A-Rod Forgive shirt. It's somewhere. I, I lost it. It's in my drawer somewhere. I'll, I'll, maybe I'll wear it next week. Right. Are you going to watch? Okay. I'll, I'll, let me think. You have to give me a week to think of it. That's a big commitment. That's Not a only big commitment. I, I don't think you really believe that Yankees are a World Series team. I think you think they have a shot at it now. Uh, which I think they got to listen. At this point, I look at the lay of the land in the American League. It's not like – I mean, if there was one or two teams, I said, in a short series, they're legitimately better than, which I believed in, in – in prior years, before they, you know, 2012, 2011, um, I would say, you know, I think it would be tough to be Kansas City, because, you know, but Kansas City lost Alex Gordon. Um, you know, the Yankees have, the thing that they have that they didn't have before is that bullpen has always been good at Rivera, but I think the bridge is really good. I mean, the bridge is really good. So even if they only get six innings at a Tanaka or a Pineda, they're ahead, it's going to be tough to beat them. And I mean, they—I mean, you know, Miller and Batances—they really haven't had any drop off. You know, you're not really going to get many teams that that don't win or don't you don't believe in are teams that just don't have that middle inning ability to mm-hmm. navigate those games, and the Yankees have that. Um, I just and part of it is Joe, and it's even for the Mets. I just don't see everybody is bunched together. Maybe baseball and what they've been doing in terms of of the tax and 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 teams now really uh, signing their talent. Uh, the focus, and here's maybe this is what's come out of some of the new young minds who have uh, come into the game. Uh, they're focused on development in the farm system and keeping their their teams together because they're not going out and spending on middle relievers or overspending on bench players. They're putting their money in the places that they have to, and they're churning things like the closer and the bullpen, the back end of the rotation uh, through development, and then you're able to compete. The issue was... Like Howard said, the Yankees always had the financial advantage where, oh, we have our own honesty, we can't really afford to keep them, so let's let's trade them. Now players are saying, teams are saying, hey, we could keep our stars and we could build around them. Plus, Joe, let's think about this way. It's the second wild card. Everybody now could compete and actually go for it and not build for tomorrow because there's that chance for the second wild card. Mm-hmm. And that's been the biggest no, problem question. for it. It's always about tomorrow. I think Mike Vaccaro said it best. Tomorrow is a mirage. Tomorrow may not happen. You have a chance to win now. You go for it. Now, there's rationale and reason behind that. The Mets, to me, there is, this is who they are. And there's not, in the, in the, now, maybe there's an upgrade out there, and then they would have to consider it. But it, it, I'll put you on the spot. If the, if the Padres say, and you know you could sign up to, we want Michael Conforto and a young pitcher not named Matt Syndergaard. If I can sign him. If I can sign him, I, can, I might have to Did do that. Did you do that? See, I'd be careful. Conforto looks like a good hitter, and Upton, even though he's 27, he has about, power, which is at a premium. Can they, can they take back Kadire? Oh, no, no one's going to take back Kadire. Well, I'm just saying, where bucks playing him? Kadire's probably you, more of a, of a 350 at-back guy right now. And that's what's well, I'm just saying, if, you have, if, you, if you've got brought in someone like uh, Justin Upton, 
um, and, and signed him long-term. You have Justin Upton, you have Ligaris, you have Granderson, uh, you have Kadire. So now you have all guys all making significant money in your outfield for them. Um, so that obviously creates a problem. Where the Mets have positions to upgrade, we know is still big, is shortstop, is, is the spot still. And um, it still seems to be either the Cubs or somehow Tulowitzki's price drops to a level where it makes a lot of sense. Those are the two areas where Tulewitzki. it still seems to be the case. And I'll tell you what, if you go to Tulowitzki, and this is what yeah, his year, I mean, he's I know his year hasn't been fantastic. Outside of Colorado, he's been pedestrian. So Tulowitzki right now, he's 30 years old, and I think it's the money. Um, Tulowitzki is, you know, he's hitting 318. He's got nine homers, 46 RBIs. You know, he's played in 77 games, so Pretty it's not like he's been injured. Sure. Um, splits, though. Let's go to the splits. In Colorado, um, 338, uh, five homers, 31 RBIs, 888, o- uh, 888 OPS away, four homers, 15 RBIs, 299. Eh, it's pretty good. Tough, you know, if he's a more of a 782 OPS guy away from the Rockies. I mean, imagine imagine this roster right now. If you had Tula Whiskey at short, the way Flores has hit and played second base defensively, you have Murphy there the rest of the year at third base. Wright's not coming back, and then third base becomes an issue moving forward when you decide what happens with Wright. I mean, if it ends up being career-ending, Mets have insurance that cover the rest of the contract, I, and things could switch a lot. I mean, it's, I hate I to think, say that um, the guy who loves David Wright, and uh, the guy has been obviously a model citizen in the face of the franchise, but the best thing for the Mets <laughs> may be if he just said, I can't play anymore, and they recouped all that money from insurance. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if that, that's going to happen. Um, you know, I mean, I know I've been saying this for a while. I think the path to improving the offense may have to come through Juan Lagares hitting a little bit better and selling people that Juan Lagares has much more offensive upside with his defense and uh, a team sees that he's signed to a reasonable contract and makes him the centerpiece of a deal to bring back a, a star. You know, I think if you get, I mean, if you have to trade Upton, if you have to trade Lagaris, and I know Upton's not a center fielder, but Lagaris and a young pitcher, maybe a Michael Fulmer, for Upton, then you know keep Conforto. But Conforto's a corner guy. Move Granderson to center. Something that you might have to consider. That might be something that the Padres say. Okay, we got a guy who can play center, elite defensively, has some upside offensively, having a bad year offensively. I mean, at times. Uh, Lagares has been like the Ray Ardonias in center field. That's how bad he's been offensively in periods. It's a very, mm-hmm. re, you know, it's a very real comparison. So you that might, I mean, that's the going for it move that you have to take. And if you now here's the thing: if you have to play it out with Upton, do you feel comfortable playing it out with Upton and then competing for his services and free agency and giving up anything? Probably not. <laughs> Probably. And that tells you. And you know what? That's what the Mets were able to do in 1998 with Mike Piazza and go for it with Preston Wilson, who was a top prospect, and uh, Eric, uh, was it, uh, geez, uh, the pitcher, this escapes my uh, mind. I think he wound up having, uh, geez, was it Godell was his name? Godell was one of the pitchers that they uh, they traded for. Uh, for Piazza? Uh, Ed Yarnell. Eddie, I think Yarnell. he wound up having cancer. Eddie Yarnell, Jeff Getz, and Preston Wilson. Jeff Getz, yeah, I'm thinking of Eric Godell, who is currently on the, well, you know, 
That's Another the thing. Injury. So we'll see. I'll let you know next week about the uh, the World Series. I'll let okay. You know next week. Enjoy the uh, home run derby, the celebrity all star softball oh. game, and Could care the all star game with all the Couldn't Royals and Cardinals. Couldn't care less. Hey, want to thank um, Ed Valentine of Big Blue View. I also want to thank Howard McDell of Capital New York for joining us today. Check us out live or replay at theweekendwatchdog.com. Send us a tweet at Mike Silva Media at jbono611 and check us out on facebook at the weekend watchdogs facebook page joe take care enjoy your day sitting on the couch and uh, have a great weekend everybody we'll see you next week